Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman is here. I'm Randy Carriker. Matthew Rocchio is here. It's 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, happy Friday Eve. Happy Friday Eve to you too, Randy Carriker. And what a Friday Eve it is. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be a lot going on today. The Cardinals playing, trying to replicate a 29-run output from yesterday. Uh, the Cardinals took it to the Nationals yesterday. I, I guess that Albert Pujols offense, a little bit better than the Jeff Albert offense, right? The Albert <laughs> offense better than the Albert offense? Yeah, a bunch of young guys, too, in the eighth inning scoring 15 runs. And the Memphis offense, if yesterday is any indication, is just going to rock and roll this season, especially if they get to play the Nationals triple-A team on is, a regular basis. Is this going to be Memphis Mafia Volume 2? Yeah, that's what it's going to be. Love that. Yeah. We know what happened the last time the Memphis Mafia really got cooking. It was pretty good. Yesterday, Albert did have a hit in his second Cardinal debut, and of course his official debut will come next week. One week from today is opening day at the ballpark. Albert did have a hit. Dylan Carlson, 2-for-3. Goldie, 4-for-4 four four with three runs. Paul DeYoung, 3-for-3 three three with five RBIs. Yachty, a couple of hits. 2-for-4 with three RBIs. Miles Michaelis, Michelle, five strong innings. He allowed four hits, one run, didn't walk anybody, and struck out two. And I think that if anybody was victimized by the juiced ball mm-hmm. in 2019, it was Miles Michaelis. And I am of the belief that he's going to bounce back because he's a pitch-to-contact, uses defense guy. I'm predicting that Miles Michaelis has a representative season as the Cardinals' third or fourth starter. Take it or leave it. You think that Miles Michaelis might be more of a surprise than Dakota Hudson? Yeah, I'll take that because not only has he been hurt, but the last time we saw him pitch for a full season, he didn't pitch well. Last time we saw Hudson, he won 17 games. So I'll, I'll go there. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy, buy in. I think we have a certain standard set for Dakota Hudson based on what, as you just said, what we saw of him the last time. And I think Miles Michaelis is probably the biggest question mark or one of the biggest question marks in this rotation. And yesterday, Randy, even though the offense went absolutely bananas, that was my biggest takeaway mm-hmm. is that Miles Michaelis looks healthy and he looks sharp. And the Cardinals will play the Marlins tonight in that game. It's today a noon game. Let's see. Let's I think it's. A, I thought it was a night game that Dan had. Let me pull up my calendar. On the old, uh, on the Valley Sports. No Blues game tonight. The Cardinals at the Marlins, 540 first 540. Pitch. I figured it was a night game. And Danny Mack and Jimmy Edmonds will have the call on Valley Sports. So the Cardinals win 29-8. to <laughs> And as we mentioned, unbelievable. But opening day, one week from today. We're looking forward to that. Last night... In Van Blank and Coover, the Blues knocked off the Canucks, Michelle, 4-3. to three. What a uh, back-to-back 
set of efforts from your St. Louis Blues. After the game over the weekend versus Carolina, you knew that the Blues needed to respond, and I've loved the effort that we've seen from them in both of these wins, Randy. And Vancouver scored first, so the Blues have, again, that bad bugaboo of letting the other team score first. 31 seconds into the second period, chase on scores for Vancouver, but the Blues come back. Nick Letty gets the equalizer at the 726 mark, and then later in the second period, Vancouver took the lead. Pedersen with his 21st of the year, and the Blues had to come back while they were killing off a penalty. Pedersen into the circle. Nice play. Swept away, and Thomas with some speed. He'll go in on a breakaway. Thomas shoots. He scores! Short-handed goal for Robert Thomas, his second shorty of the season. And he burned right past Hughes to tie the game. 2-2 the score, 4.31 to go, second period. And the Blues had had a million opportunities leading up to that shorthanded goal. So you figure, okay, well, hopefully we can just get through the power play, especially with Pedersen and Hughes on the Vancouver power play. To get that shorthanded goal was huge and it gave the Blues some momentum and after Thomas had scored at the 15-29 mark, Ryan O'Reilly gave the Blues the lead. Perron running out of some room, backs up, gets a little more space, goal line, center, they score! Ryan O'Reilly from a one-touch pass from Braden Shin. Power play goal, St. Louis in a 3-2 lead with 2.44 to go in the second. And Michelle, that was the score after two, and the Blues needed some insurance. Right? Yeah, they did. Yeah, here we go. And they got some I know ins- where this is going. They got some insurance from Nadub. From from who? Nadub. <laughs> Falk in shooting Walker. He scores! Nathan Walker has given the Blues a 4 to 2 lead as the play developed with some amazing vision from Falk. 10:31 to go. We're in the third period. The Blues up by 2. So, first of all, a little consternation in the room. We'll get to that in a moment. But Nadub's goal from Mac Mac and Fall oh my God. coming at the 929 mark to give the Blues the 4-3 lead. Elias Pettersson scored one more at the 15-11 mark. The Blues were able to hang on, barely, and win it by a score of 4-3. And Michelle, you tell me that the Blues don't even understand the nicknames of their own players? The Blues tweeted last night after Nathan Walker's goal. Walks, all caps, four exclamation points, hashtag St. Louis Blues. I think they know the nicknames. Walks. Not Nadub. Fox is a stupid nickname, and Nadub is an epic nickname. You know what's epic is that Walks, anytime he is presented with an opportunity, seems to capitalize on it. Yeah. He has really become uh, somebody that can ignite this team. I, I love watching him play. Yeah, he's he's Yossi. terrific. Coach Craig Berube, what did you think of that effort? Well, yeah, very good effort. Um, pretty much all all game. You know, I don't like giving that third goal up. Just kind of, we got a little loose at, at, um, in the slot area, but um, solid effort by everybody tonight. And the Blues will play Van, or Edmonton tomorrow. It's a 7 o'clock pregame, 8 o'clock faceoff between the Blues and the Ori, uh, Oilers here on 101 ESPN. And then on Sunday, the Blues are back at it. Or is it Saturday? They've got, we've got, oh, Blues and Flames. Yeah, yep. 8 o'clock pregame, 9 o'clock. I'm looking at the board up here. 9 o'clock faceoff after we have the final four for you on Saturday. So Saturday's going to be busy here at 101 ESPN. Got a text last night from Michelle that said it never stops with a link to a story that Bruce Arians, at the age of 69, has retired as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach. Todd Bowles, named as the Bucks' new coach. They've been together for 40 years. Bowles gets a five-year contract. 
My question, Michelle, is does Bruce Arians come back as the head coach of the Buccaneers in 40 days? I don't think so because he's not leaving the organization. He's actually moving to the front office. He says he's still working and he's going to continue to play a role in evaluating the draft process. Um, His actual title is senior football consultant. So he's still going to have a voice within the organization. So it's not exactly like the Tom Brady deal. But Randy, this has been fun because a lot of people are wondering if this has something to do with Tom Brady. A lot of people Mm -hmm. are trying to decipher some of Bruce Arians comments in the offseason about Tom Brady and whether he was retiring or not retiring and they're wondering if this was a Tom Brady decision or if Bruce Arians didn't want to coach Tom Brady again so again it never stops with the NFL it's no. always drama it's always a major domino to fall and it's and it's these big names that can cause a massive shift in the way we view teams and here's what has happened Bruce Arians coached Todd Bowles Todd Bowles is 58 Bruce Arians coached Todd Bowles when Todd Bowles was an 18-year-old at Temple. They've been together for 40 years, Mm -hmm. and they've been on the same coaching staffs. Uh, Bowles played on teams that Arians coached on, and Arians has a great fondness for Todd Bowles. Well, now it's set up so that all the coaching openings and all the staffs are filled. So it's easy for Arians to step away now, Mm -hmm. set it up so that he has his own guy as the head coach and the staff stays in place. I think it was great timing on the part of Bruce Arians to accomplish what he wanted, which was to get Todd Bowles a job. Helps out the NFL by getting another minority coach, Mm -hmm. uh, minority head coach in place. They're going to keep Byron Leftwich as their offensive coordinator. Actually, Todd Bowles defensive coordinator when he was head coach of the Jets, Casey Rogers. The the entire time Bowles was there, Casey Rogers was his defensive coordinator. He's a defensive line coach with the Bucs, and he'll just be elevated to defensive coordinator. Everything fits perfectly for the Buccaneers, and essentially you can just let Tom Brady run the offense anyway. I think Tom Brady's going to do what Tom Brady wants to do. Yeah. But yeah, you're right, Todd Bowles interviewing for those head coaching vacancies with the Bears and the Vikings this offseason. And maybe this was Bruce Arians' master plan all along. I think a lot of people always viewed Todd Bowles as his successor. And since he didn't mm-hmm. get those opportunities elsewhere, he decided to wait until every other opportunity was filled and kind of puppeteer this himself. Smart move on the part of those guys. And one other note, well, a, a couple of other notes. Number one, From everybody that I talked to, people that were close and people that were far away from that situation with the Jets, Todd Bowles is a good coach and a good guy that was just in a bad situation. How can you be in a good situation as the head coach of the Jets? I don't think you can, as we've seen from the people that followed him. It's just a a toxic place, no matter who's at the helm. But that is amazing of B.A. to put Todd Bowles in this position because it's just like being a quarterback, Randy. You could be as talented as Peyton Manning, but get drafted into the wrong Mm -hmm. situation and your career could end up taking a sharp left because you're not in the right organization. And I love that Todd Bowles is being put in such an amazing position to succeed. Yeah, he he absolutely can win there. And one other note is that this is not unlike when Dean Smith retired at North Carolina, and he he retired in October, October 9th, so that he could have his own guy in place, Bill Guthridge. And Guthridge actually did okay, but then he retired because he was older, and things went downhill for a while at North Carolina. But in terms of just setting up your own succession plan, what Bruce Arians did is a lot like what Bruce uh, Dean Smith did at North mm-hmm. Carolina. 
Shaheen Holloway didn't have that luxury at St. Peter's. He left after their magical run to the Elite Eight, and he's now going to coach at his alma mater, Seton Hall. And Michelle, you know what it is after the Celtics play. You know what we do every single morning after the Boston Celtics play? It's... Jason Tatum is one of the best players in the NBA. Tatum drives down and throws it down! Wow! And he reps his city. Who do you got in the Super Bowl tonight? Oh, the St. Louis Rams. Oh, he can't let it go. The St. Louis Rams. It's time for the Jason Tatum Minute on Carriker and Smallman. And Michelle, things fell apart for the Celtics. They had a five-point lead in the fourth quarter last night, let it get away and lost to Miami, 106-98. And Jason only took one shot in the fourth quarter, finished the night with 23 points, but he was a minus 12 on the night. The 23 points, five rebounds, six assists. But to me, he should have been the guy in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and Jalen Brown was the guy in the fourth quarter, and the Celtics suffered their second loss in a row. Well, that just means to me that his teammates need to step up because it's clearly not Jason Tatum's fault. No, even though never. he only had the ball once, it doesn't matter. Or shooting once, it doesn't matter. Not his fault. No, it's, never his it's fault. It's not. He's trying to help his teammates. That's right. Be heroes, and there's only one guy on that team that can be the hero. And sometimes you have to have an experiment like that, a failed experiment, mm-hmm. to know that Jason Tatum just needs to have the ball all the time. That is your Jason Tatum <laughs> minute on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. It's time for Sick of It with Carriker Smallman and Matthew Rocchio on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm over it, Sharon. I can't take this no more. I am done. I am sick of it. Do you hear me? Sick of it. I can't take it anymore. These people are the worst. Character and Smallman are sick of it. Michelle, Randy, Matthew, great to have you with us. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Sick of it is a product of St. Louisan and Washington Wizards player Bradley Beal, who last year, when his team was really struggling, kept scoring a bunch of points. And one night after a particular 47-point output that his team lost, his wife hopped on the interwebs and typed into her social media, sick of it. And so that was uh, the genesis of this particular segment. I interpret it as sick of it. Sick of it. Sick of it. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, I can tell you already, right now, tomorrow, when we step foot into this studio, apparently the people that are doing our renovation of the building, mm-hmm. who are doing fabulous work, and they're all really nice people, all listen to the station all the time, love them. But tomorrow, they're going to be taking out a lot of furniture. And our elevator is not going to be available to us. Mm-hmm. I have to walk up steps tomorrow morning at 6 in the morning. And I can tell you right now, I'm already sick of it. It's only a couple flights, Randy. Heart healthy. 50, 50 steps. You've counted them? Yeah. Okay. 50 steps. You could do it. I know I can do it. I just don't want to. <laughs> do you take the elevator every day? I take the elevator in the morning, yeah. Normally, if I come back... I will walk the steps, but when I'm walking in, especially because my backpack's heavier than it's ever been because I never clean it out, uh, I, I usually, I always take the elevator when I get here in the morning. I wonder what's in your backpack. Oh, there's always a computer and I've got like commercials and then I've got like all kinds of paper. Here, look at this. I've got the, remember when I did this? Oh, Carriker and Smallman welcome the world's greatest radio executives. Yes, but that, that they, was last month, right? Yes, I think we can recycle that. I think so. Yeah, so I've just a lot of paper, and paper winds up being heavy when yeah, you get a lot of them. It does. You should probably go through that. That way, uh, you have less of a load on your back as you're trying to walk up those stairs tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. yeah. But that's the only day. I might just leave my backpack here. 
Maybe, but we don't have an office. Where are you going to put good it? Point. Okay, where I are you going to put it? That's right. Tuck it away in a studio. And because of the renovation, it's not like we don't have an office. They're just renovating and putting us into a different office. We've been meeting in these little chairs, though, in <laughs> kind of an open area. I kind of like it. So Kim Grant, who runs our digital side, walked by Matthew and I yesterday and said, "I hope even when you guys have an office, that you continue to have meetings here because they like seeing us in the sales area." Yeah, we are kind of sequestered. Yeah. Uh, the production element of this, the on-air product and sales, there were yeah. two different parts of the building. Right. So behind the curtain at 101 ESPN. There you go. Rainy, I'm sick of the rain. I'm sick of it being cold. We get, these, we get these glimpses of spring, and we're a week away from Cardinal Baseball. Mm-hmm. I need the sunshine to stay. I need the warmth to stay. I am with you, and it's going to happen in a hurry, Michelle. Let me get my latest from AccuWeather. AccuWeather forecast from 101 ESPN. What do you got, Big Boy? Am I the only one who didn't know, like who didn't check the weather yesterday and kind of assumed it was going to be 60 again? Because I did not like change the climate control in my house at all. I woke up this morning at like 3 a.m. like, why am I colder than I should be right now? And then I rolled over, checked my weather app. No, it's below 40. I hate this so bad. I got mad. It was hard to go back to sleep. It was rough. I don't blame you. That's actually pretty stupid no it was i was like it's march how am i rolling over it's like literally the day before april how am i rolling over in bed like i'm cold Mm -hmm. because i didn't check whether it was going to drop 35 degrees in a nine hour period i should know by now so michelle sunday 69 degrees you're gonna have saturday and sunday 63 55 chance of showers uh i'm not doing this right Saturday is a 60, 55% chance mm-hmm. of showers, a high of 63, low of 38 on Saturday night. To Sunday, a high of 69 and only a 4% chance of precipitation. For opening day next Thursday, one week from today, we're looking at a high of 52 degrees and partly sunny skies with a 25% chance of precipitation. That's 101 ESPN Weather. I'm Randy Carricker from the AccuWeather Studios. Very good. Thank you. And by the way, if uh, we do get rained out on Thursday, Friday, high of 54, but sunny, crystal clear, sunny skies. Perfect. All right, Matthew, what do we got on the text line? Where was I? I should have been a weather guy. (laughs) Weather and traffic together. Traffic and weather together. You should have done that. I I think, and this is no disrespect to our meteorologists out there, because it is a tough job and it is a science. But But it really is. But if you're... So it's gambling. If you're wrong... No one expects you to be right, right because the weather is so fickle. It's it's like, and again, no disrespect to these people that put in a lot of work and grind the tape. It's like the NFL draft. It's like predicting yeah. quarterbacks. You're, you have a 50-50 chance either way. So if you're the person that goes on first take and says... Josh Allen is going to be a total bust and then he ends up being the quarterback that succeeds out of that class. You have a 50-50 shot of having it right. Right. It's kind of like, put it in FanDuel Sportsbook terms, if you do a three-day forecast in St. Louis, it's kind of like you have the parlay insurance. Correct. Honestly, being a meteorologist in St. Louis, Missouri is probably the most job security you could have because the weather changes on a dime and you could be like, "Eh." well, when I did the report an hour ago, this is what it said. I was correct, but the St. Louis weather... Uh, is unpredictable. And no one in St. Louis would be like, you're terrible at your job because no. we know it is the weather. The old adage in San Diego is that the weather people record the forecasts for the entire week on Sunday night. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Must be nice. Uh, sick of it. Squ- Smalls, quit acting like you don't enjoy Nadub. You know as well as I do, it flows like any, unlike any other. Nadub. Randy Carricker nailed it. No, he did not. He did not nail it. He did not nail Nadub. <laughs> I almost texted him last night, but it was a late game. I didn't know if Randy was still up. Didn't want to wake him up. I figured you were. But I almost said, oh, Nadab again. I threw my hands into the air when he scored. Nadab! Oh, my gosh. Woke up the rest of my house.
He Sam is Hale. really fun and exciting and he did tell Jeremy Rutherford that he loved Nadab. Now, I don't know if that was just the Aussie being polite or not wanting to be, um, maybe, I, I don't know. Well, Randy. do you want to be unique? I mean, the, the Blues had Scott Walker here in the past, and his nickname was Walks. It's Do, do you name everybody that's Walker Walks, or do you want to be new and original? But I don't know if Nadab is new and original. Have you ever heard it before? No, I have not. There you go. There <laughs> you go. But it's just adding the the first. It's like J Lo. Nathan it's W. A-Rod. Yeah. Yeah. Michelle, you had this thought earlier or late last night from the 832. So sick of the NFL, but like a bad car wreck, I just can't look away. It's amazing. It, they make me so angry. I am sick of them because. <laughs> It would be so easy for us to fully walk away. I think a lot of us have emotionally divested from the NFL in a lot of ways, but they just will not get out of our faces. So I tweeted this last night, Michelle. This is this is maybe the most unbelievable NFL story ever. And them wielding their clout. So the state of New York is building the Bills a new stadium and contributing a record $850 million to the project. Okay, the state of New York. At the same time, the state of New York is cutting funding for child and family services by $800 million. That's outrageous. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Outrageous. And they're just allowing the NFL to threaten them and walk all over them. And... If you're the NFL, if you're one of these owners, how do you sleep at night? No, I mean, I'm sure that they you don't just care. Gave, your, your league they just don't gave care. Deshaun Watson $230 million guaranteed. But if if it was put to you in those terms, hey, you're a billionaire and you could afford this and you're going to get all of the a huge portion of the profits from this. And we're cutting funding for kids and family services so that we can fund a stadium for you. Doesn't that make... How do these people not feel so gross about that? You have an owner that literally kicked elderly people out of their homes. I know. It's (laughs) sick. That's who these people are. And guess what? I can't stop reading about it or watching them. We are an addicted nation. We are addicted to the NFL. They are a gross operation and we don't care. We can't separate ourselves. The folks I don't at, know why. The folks at 410 Park Avenue, they know how to market. And that's what it comes down to. They they know what they're doing. And by the way, in general, the league is paranoid. The league got where it got because of great public relations. It's not like there's great public relations going on anymore in the NFL and the players are accessible or friendly. It's just what you see on the field and the transactions that you see so frustrating. I'm sick the of that. Text is 100% right. It's like a train wreck, but you can't stop watching. It's like an addiction. We, mm-hmm. can, yeah. we can't shake it. Right. We need to go to rehab, NFL rehab. Yeah. Except well, none of us will. Yeah. We, no. love, we love it. It's 365 days a year. There's no chance to detox. There you go. No doubt. <laughs> yep. Let's get one more before we get to Greg. 636, I'm sick of my father-in-law's bad cooking with grilling season coming up. It's only going to get worse. Okay. If you're sick of this, here's what you do. If, if your father-in-law is on the internet, get him to the Traeger website, TraegerGrills.com. Tons of recipes there. And for Father's Day or a birthday, get him a Weber Eye Grill. And with his phone, he can track the temperature of what he is making or grilling on said grill. That's all you have to do. Follow directions and cook to the correct temperature and you won't have any problem at all. And by the way, it's not a bad idea to go out and get a tenderizer either. Because if you're buying cheap meat, 
then it's just not going to be as good. So if he's buying cheap meat and that's an issue, get it so that at least he can tenderize it. Can't you just offer to cook? Could do that too. Yeah. So but- listen, Larry, I appreciate you cooking for us all these years. Uh, during the pandemic, I got really into grilling videos on YouTube, and it's going to be my new hobby this summer. I would love to cook for you. You can cook fish for a man for a day, and he'll have food for that day. You can teach a man to fish, and he'll have food forever. Mm. Wise I words. Don't, don't know where I heard it, but I did. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, our buddy Greg Amzinger is going to react to my idea for a Cardinal lineup on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Breaking news on Get Up on ESPN. Michelle, what do we got? I just looked to our right and our buddy Chris Long, two-time Super Bowl champion Chris Long, is on Get Up. Singing the praises of St. Louis, no doubt. No doubt. He always does. But We're, it's great to see him on uh, the big the big morning show on ESPN. We know he's a podcast star, Greenlight right. Podcast. Yeah, he's but great. Now he's a, a television star as well. Yeah. We are efforting our buddy Greg Amzinger of MLB Network. And uh, Michelle, I, I was thinking about this last night. Hold on. Let me just uh, make sure that we can uh, get him. Okay. Texting and talking at the same time. Tell me what you think of my opening day lineup. And feel free to disagree because Greg does. Uh, I passed it along to Bob Ramsey, who to me is the master of the lineup. He loves the lineup. And uh, he is more in line with what Greg said. But let me give you my lineup. Okay, let's hear it. I've got Carlson leading off. Mm -hmm. I've got Goldie hitting second. O'Neal hitting third. Then Arenado, Pujols, DeYoung. Bader, Edmund, and Molina. And my thought process in hitting Molina ninth rather than seventh is that he won't clog up the bases in front of Harrison Bader and Tommy Edmund. I would prefer to have the, the bases more open for those guys. And I think DeYoung gives those guys a better opportunity to utilize their athleticism. And then you have power in Carlson and Goldie, when you come through the lineup again, you have power hitting behind him so that, in theory, Yachty doesn't have to run as much. So that's my thought process. So say it again. Carlson, Goldie, O'Neal, Arenado. Pujols, DeYoung, Bader, Edmund, and Molina. This is my opening day lineup against Jose Quintana. Okay, Carlson, Goldie, O'Neal, Arenado, Pujols. See, that's still so weird for me to write that in. Yeah. DeYoung, Bader, Edmund, Molina. Right. Now... Those guys, uh, Greg said he would move Yachty to seven and then use Bader as the second leadoff hitter, batting ninth. But I just don't want Yachty clogging up my bases. Because if Yachty's on hitting seventh, Yachty gets a leadoff hit and Bader hits one to the wall, Bader can't use his speed. Yeah, I'm I'm more in lockstep with Greg. I would like to see Bader batting ninth. I would like to to bookend that lineup with some speed and some pop and hopefully get Molina more of a chance, I think, in the middle there. But I, I get what you're saying. I thought, by the way, that it was interesting. J- Jim Edmonds the other day on the broadcast, he believes that Harrison Bader can be a 35 home run guy. So maybe by all the time this is all said and done, Harrison Bader is a middle of the lineup guy. And if, by the way, if Harrison Bader's hitting 35 home runs for you with the way his OPS has climbed over the last couple of years, maybe Bader winds up being a number three type hitter for you. And 
uh, Harrison Bader and Jim Edmonds have worked together, so mm-hmm. he knows his skill set very well. So if he's predicting that, it's probably because he likes what he's seen out of him. And by the way, that's my opening day lineup. My lineup against right-handed pitching is completely different. I'm leading off with Edmund there. Mm-hmm. I really like Edmund and Carlson. I like the back-to-back switch hitters at the top of my lineup. And then I'm going to go essentially with the same group. I'm going to go Goldie third, O'Neill fourth, Arenado fifth, Dickerson sixth, DeYoung seventh, and then uh, Yachty and Bader. Would you be intrigued by Bader in that leadoff spot ever? I would. So would I. Especially against lefties. Me too. I would love to see that. And he showed so much more discipline last year. He became so much better of a hitter last year. And if he maintains that, if he, like Tyler O'Neill, is able to lay off the slider and that on base continues to climb, I think he could be a pretty darn effective leadoff hitter. That is one thing that we've talked about a little bit, but because this spring training has come and gone essentially so quickly, and oh, right smack dab in the middle of that, you had a massive signing Mm -hmm. with Albert Pujols, and to start it off, you had two major pitching injuries. It feels like we haven't given these three guys in the outfield the time that we should have. When you look at what happened last year, we had question marks about all of these guys. We let off that season talking about John Mosellock needing to be right, that mm-hmm. uh, the Randy Rosarena move had to result in the outfield carousel stopping at some point. And not only did it stop, but you have two gold glovers, you have a guy who finished third in the Rookie of the Year voting, and three young players that have not only solidified themselves, Randy, but I think not even reached their potential yet and really have a chance to take that next step forward. And if they do, if all three of them do, what does this team look like? What does the dynamic of this team look like? And you should get about 1,800 plate appearances between your three outfield spots. I would hope that, and I know what you're saying in allowing those guys to blossom, I would hope that the Cardinals could get 400 plate appearances for Lars Newtbar too, especially with an all-right-handed hitting, well, Dylan Carlson being the pin, the switch hitter. Mm-hmm. But my hope would be that you could get Newt Barr, about 400 at-bats, too, because we know the injury history of O'Neill and Bader. You want to keep him sharp. And the other thing is, you're going to face a lot more right-handed pitching than left. So if you have Max Scherzer on the mound, I know it sounds like punishment for Lars Newt Barr, but why not him play him in left rather than have... Tyler O'Neill have to deal with the, the Max Scherzer stuff. I am very intrigued by Lars Newtbar. He's had some moments this spring that have, I think, piqued a lot of people's mm-hmm. interests, but that is going to be the difficult spot trying to find uh, opportunities for him to show what he can do. By the way, Randy, a lot of people texting into the text line, including this one from the 636, what brave soul would tell Yachty that he's batting ninth? I mean, that that's a conversation I think the manager might not want to have, right? No, that's why you have Albert on the team. Albert's the one that has to deliver that message. Hey, Yadi. Hey, Jadi. This is best for the team. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, this is best for the team. And it would be best for the team because, and again, not everybody agrees with my thought process here, but if you, if Edmund and or Bader hits a ball to the wall with Yadi on base in front of them, Yadi is going to go base to base. He's not going to provide them the opportunity to utilize their speed. Whereas if he's hitting ninth and those guys are behind DeYoung, at least DeYoung's fast enough so that if those guys hit a ball to the wall, he can score from first and they can wind up at second or third. That'll never happen with Yachty. And I know that the times that that happens are few and far between, right? But I just like that idea. And then 
Yachty gets on as a ninth place hitter, and Carlson can hit a home run, Goldie can hit a home mm-hmm. run, O'Neill can hit a home run. He doesn't have to run as much. Bring him in. S- sell him on that. Say, mm-hmm. hey, Yachty, you hit ninth, you don't have to run as much. But I don't know if that's going to be the selling point, because he's probably not, <laughs> not thinking about that. He just doesn't want a bad night. But you know what? This is going to be a different season. You're right, with, with Albert there and with them Wanting to win so badly. They always want to win. Ba- the three old yes, guys. The three guys. <laughs> did you just call them the three old guys? I did. Okay. Um, the elder statesman. I can do maybe? that as an old guy. Okay. Fair. Fair. <laughs> um, even though you're not an old guy either. But I, I just wonder if the mentality shifts a little bit. If it, these guys are always team first guys. Mm-hmm. We know that. But I mean, Yadier Molina loves baseball. He loves playing. And he knows his skills. And I think... A lot of the time, he he probably feels like I am the best person to be out here at this time, and it is the best thing for the team to have me here, right? But I wonder if this season is going to be different because if everyone buys in, I'm using the, the Blues as the analogy, mm-hmm. if everybody buys in, and even if Yadier Molina, which he will not, I'm just using this as an analogy, has to at some point fill an Alexander Steen-type role where maybe he has to do something mm-hmm. that he's not accustomed to or do something that he doesn't necessarily want to do. If the goal to win is so prevalent that everybody checks every sense of ego at the door and it's about whatever Ali Marmol mm-hmm. and the team wants them to do. I would hope that's the case. And I would think, because the Cardinals do have good personalities here with Bader and Carlson and Edmund and DeYoung. If I'm one of those players, I'm going to do everything I can, because I know the history of the three guys. I'm going to do everything I can to make their last season as cool as I can possibly make it. Of course. We're going to talk to Nolan Arenado later Mm -hmm. in the show. I don't even think we've mentioned that today, but Nolan Arenado is joining us at 9 o'clock. Looking forward to talking to Nolan. But last year, Nolan Arenado unprompted during his uh, media Zoom made sure to get a message out to Albert Pujols saying that he hopes that he can finish his career, quote, the right way and says, I hope you see this one day. You're my favorite player. And now that person is his teammate, Randy. It's his teammate. And Nolan Arnato wants to win more than maybe anybody. I mean, he mm-hmm. shawshanked his way out of Colorado yeah. to get here to win. But now, not only after you've had one season under your under your belt, do you feel more comfortable and you feel more confident in yourself and in your team, but your favorite player is now your teammate. And you know it's his last season. Think about the motivation you have knowing that Albert Pujols is across from you in the clubhouse and your performance could help contribute to your success and his last chance at success. I don't think these guys need any more motivation, but that has to be a little bit of seasoning on the top. We'll ask Nolan Arenado about that at 9 o'clock. But coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service sex line 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. We go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Greg Amzinger had a little trouble dropping his son off at school, which is going to happen now and then, but he's with us now on 101 ESPN. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm telling you, man, once kids hit that teenager stage, it can get rough, man. I don't remember being difficult at the age of 12. Randy, were you difficult at the age of 12? I don't believe I was. I think I was an angel at the age of 12. <laughs> sure. Michelle, Michelle, were you difficult at the age of 12? No, Greg, I was too afraid of my dad to not be an angel. So, so what's the deal? The three of us were well-behaved. 
We were well behaved. Well, I guess that means he's going to be uber uber successful in life because <laughs> right. we're just talking about sports for a living, right? I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> right. Uh, hey, Greg. Opening day is one week from today. I know. Isn't that great? It's unbelievable. Know, I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to be on TV tonight, and today was supposed to be opening day, believe it or not. And our uh, tomorrow was actually, and actually no, it was today. So we're going to do a couple of uh, fake live look-ins as to what would have happened on the normal opening day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking through the matchups that were that got scrapped, and I'm trying to find uh, pitcher-batter matchups from years past. We've got some very entertaining live look-ins. But listen, man, I'm walking on clouds right now. And, and I think you know, I, I've kind of laid low when this whole Albert Fools thing. I've been trying on suits from 2011 just to see if they still <laughs> awesome. fit. You know? like, <laughs> I, I want to I go back in time. This is a wonderful day. We got the king back. It just feels right. You know, it's it's like you, you break up with that that significant other and everyone knows you were a good fit and y'all date someone else and you think it's over and then you find out that each person broke up and every all your friends know you're going to get back together and and then you do, and it's just hunky-dory. It's, it's a great time to be a Cardinal fan. It really is, Greg. By the way, I saw you in an eggplant jacket the other day. It looked great. Love the color. I appreciate oh, that. Oh, thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. Um, but back to our pool holes. You've covered baseball for a long time. You've covered all of the teams, all of the great storylines. But when I look at this Albert Pujols storyline, there's so many tentacles to this. It's not only just him returning to the Cardinals. It's the quest for 700. It's reuniting with Wayno and Yachty for one last dance. There's so many different angles of this that make it such a great story. When you look at all of the great stories that you covered throughout your time in, in media and in sports media and baseball, where does this one rank? It's towards the top when it comes to just baseball-centric. What we saw last year from Shohei Otani was one of the most remarkable individual performances I've ever seen. Um, obviously, the sign-stealing scandal was an epic historical scar uh, for the game. We've seen so many incredible performances you know, back and forth uh, from a starting pitching perspective. Uh, what I saw in the second half from Jake Arrieta's uh, Cy Young season cannot be overlooked. It's one of the greatest halves of pitching I've ever seen. But to see three guys on their last leg, and when Adam Wainwright has not officially said this is his last year, but I, I'd be shocked if it wasn't uh, because he has so many suitors for his broadcasting talents. Um, but to see three guys who I believe will all contribute at a high level, I do not think we're going to see guys. Yachty's not hitting 232 with four home runs and, and 43 RBIs. I, I don't see that. I, I see Adam Wainwright being almost as good as he was last year, being a significant part towards the top of the starting pitching rotation that wants to win the NL Central over, in my opinion, the best starting pitching rotation in all of baseball over the Milwaukee Brewers. And, and I see Albert Pools getting significant at-bats in clutch moments. We're all talking about him as a DH, and for good reason. That's why they went and acquired him, because his numbers against left-handed pitching. But let's be honest. Big moment, flamethrower on the mound, righty or lefty. And I think you're going to see Albert Pools grab a bat in his hand and pinch hit in some significant moments down the stretch for a team that's, that's got World Series aspirations. These are three significant people to the city of St. Louis who are not washed up. I know Albert Pools is not the three-time MVP. I know he's not what he used to be. I get that. But at the age of 42, he's pretty damn good. And I think all three of these guys 
are going to be part of the core with the young, super talented, high ceiling guys they already have in house that are going to make this a magical season. This could end up being right now. It's top five storyline that I've covered since working at MLB wow. Network, Michelle. But it, it has the chance to be number one if it all works out. That's awesome. Hey, Greg, we, we discussed this last night, but I want you to give your take on my lineup for opening day against Jose Quintana. So, presuming a left-hander is on the mound for the Pirates, I've got Carlson leading off, Goldie hitting second, O'Neal third, then Arenado, Pujols, DeYoung hitting sixth, and Bader, Edmund, and Molina. And as I told you last night, I don't want Yachty clogging up the bases in front of uh, Bader and Edmund. So that's why I don't have Yachty hitting seventh. Because of the American League lineup, and I've had so many conversations with former American League players, former American League managers, and the way they view the nine spot when you have a DH, I would flip-flop Yachty and Bader. I like having a guy like Yachty who doesn't strike out, almost like an insurance policy. Think about, you've got so many guys that are going to be on base. If you can get Yachty to the plate with two outs, and you need a guy to pick up a teammate, right? DeYoung pops out, bases loaded, one out. Now you have bases loaded, two outs. And you need that guy that's not out there trying to hit a grand slam just to fillet to right, right, with two outs, scores two runs. That's a perfect spot for Yachty or Molina. And the ninth spot in the order, I'm putting Bader down there because I want Bader to get pitched to like he's leading off the game. And if he's hitting ninth, the last thing you want is for him to get on base, to be a complete and utter distraction to the starting pitcher because he can fly with the fastest players in the game. Mm-hmm. And now you got that, 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 that fearsome top of the order for the Cardinals, which I think is going to be one of the longest and most deadly in, in the National League. So I would flip-flop. I'd put Yachty in the seventh spot and drop Bader to the nine, and I think that would be a cash money lineup. Greg, I want to go back to Albert Pujols here for a second. We talked about what a great storyline it is. We're certainly going to be captivated by Albert Pujols back with the Cardinals this season. But from a baseball perspective, do you think this move made the team better? You know, I've been talking to a lot of people at MLB Network about this, and there were so many critics of it. And and as you all know, I've been saying this for two years. I, I saw this coming for two years. I'm so glad John Mozeliak didn't do this smart thing. Because there are so many people sitting next to him in that front office that have Ivy League degrees that were telling him why a 42-year-old player with so many foot and leg injuries in his past is not the smart thing to do. There are so many other smarter options for $2.5 million on a one-year deal. I'm glad he didn't do the smart thing. I'm glad he did the right thing. Because sometimes the right thing is better for the collective whole. We're dealing with humans. And I'm telling you, injecting that player with this kind of legacy back into that clubhouse when everyone knows it's already a special year. We already saw the snowball coming down the mountain. It just got a thousand times bigger with the addition of Albert Pools. The human element is the magic that's left in the game. It's the magic that's left in the sport. Do I think fans can impact the outcome, outcome of the game? I actually do. Don't tell that to my friend Brian Kenny and all his all of his analytic buddies. They think that's 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 ridiculous. But when a fan base is on the edge of their seat, losing their mind with excitement, that permeates through all the human beings that are on the field. And adding Albert Pujols to this team this year with so much to play for, which could be a historic one by so many great players on the last leg of their careers. I'm sorry, this was the right thing to do when you think about what the fans had to sit through with these labor negotiations 
We saw numbers going down because of COVID, people still afraid to go to the ballpark and sit next to strangers. This was the right move to get fans to put all of their their, their, their fears down and forget about any, any apprehensiveness they would have and go to the ballpark to see number five play one last time. And you're going to see it. And it was the right move. And I'm so proud of John Mosellock for pulling this off. I think all Cardinal fans who love being haters to John Mosellock need to zip it for at least three weeks. <laughs> zip it for three weeks and enjoy the fact that this man made the right move. Might not have been the smartest move, but it was the right move. Well, Greg, let, let me ask it this way then, it, because it may have been the smartest, smarter move, okay? So September 13th, the Brewers are in town. Cardinals and Brewers are tied for the division lead. Tie game, 1-1, ninth inning. Josh Hader is on the mound. Who would you rather st- step to the plate, Albert Pujols or Juan Yepes? Albert Pools. I mean, Yepes, I love the kid. He's got a high ceiling, very compact swing. He's going to hit. He's going to hit. He almost had 30 home runs last year in the minor leagues. He's a terrific young talent. But Albert Pools has hit three home runs in a World Series game. We've seen Albert Pools do things that, ask Brad Lidge who he'd rather face, (laughs) Yepes or Pools. Okay? Track record speaks volumes. And and Josh Hader would rather face Yepes than Albert Pools who's been there and, and done that. So, Yes, I, I, I do think Albert Pools brings a lot of wowness to the team. Physically, is Yepes what a GM feels safer about? At the end of the day, front offices usually make moves that are going to ensure their team wins and get them closer to ensuring their team wins games. And my resident GM, Dan O'Dowd, longtime GM of the Colorado Rockies, rolled his eyes at the idea of bringing back Albert Pools. So many of my cohorts thought this was just a pipe dream. To stop, why are we bringing this up, Greg? I worked Saturday and Sunday, and poor Dan O'Dowd was the victim of that. <laughs> I was no joke. We were going to do a segment on Sunday, okay, where I, 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 I just talked about Albert Pulse on Greg's list of the nine moves that still need to be made before opening day. Albert was number six. Not number one because he's a part-time DH. Number one was Juan Soto getting a $500 million extension before opening day. That makes sense. But on Sunday, I was going to talk about a whole segment. If Albert Pulse does not sign with the Cardinals, where else will he sign? And do you know what I was thinking and what I kind of had a feel? The Chicago Cubs may have swooped in and signed Albert Pools as the ultimate rivalry middle finger to the Cardinal fan base. And I would have hated that. But thankfully, in the commercial break before this segment, uh, we got the tweet from, uh, I believe, Michelle Wu, who said that it was Albert Pools in talks to the Cardinals, and that became the entire segment. So, yes, I've been talking about this. So many of my friends were rolling their eyes at it. I'm glad it's happened, and yes, I do believe Albert will help this team win. Uh, on a spreadsheet, people might argue that, but in the humanity and the memories that we all have as Cardinal fans, seeing this guy do what he's done, he's going to help this team. 30 seconds, we've got Nolan Arenado coming up at 9 o'clock. What do you want him to be asked by us? Uh, ask him, how many times does he remember Greg Amsinger reminding him that he's Greg Amsinger's favorite player? Okay, you got it. We'll do it. Make sure you ask him that, because I think I've said it to him. I'm going to guess 11 times face-to-face. He might give you like five, all right? Okay. And by the way, Greg, he has gone out of his way to say Albert Pujols is his favorite player. So you talk about the human element that you're injecting into a clubhouse. I imagine that fired Nolan Arenado yeah, up. Pretty awesome. I mean, how many baseball fans in St. Louis are blushing right now? How great is this? Isn't cool. this just wonderful? It's the best. Greg, thanks so much for the time. We will be talking to you on opening day.
All right. I can't wait. I'll talk to you then, guys. See you. Greg Amsinger, MLB Network on 101 ESPN. Some exciting news coming up for the Ascension Charity Classic. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you on 101 ESPN, and we go now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And big news from the Ascension Charity Classic, always doing great things for the community. And up in North County, they've got things happening at Glen Echo, of course. They've got things happening at uh, Norwood with the Ascension Charity Classic. And now even more, Nick Ragone, who's the executive director of the Ascension Charity Classic, joins us now on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Nick. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, guys. Back Good to be back, and we're so excited. You know, the Normandy Project has been a... One that's been talked about for a couple of years, Tom O'Toole has done a great job leading that, getting all the partners involved. And to be able to support it, it makes perfect sense for us. It's in North County. It supports golf, diversity, and inclusion. And to have the Charity Classic now lean into that as a partner, I think it's going to be a great accelerant to that wonderful project. And so the ownership group has exercised the option to purchase Normandy from UMSL, and a significant, obviously it must be a significant financial investment. How will this manifest itself? Three ways. It's going to be financial investment. It's also going to be partnering on um, using Normandy as, as another tournament in the rotation for the Charity Classic. So, you know, we have the APGA Classic, which we announced at Glen Echo. Mm-hmm. And so using Normandy now to potentially be a qualifying round for the APGA Classic, potentially as a qualifier for the Ascension Charity Classic, and then someday possibly even hosting, which would be lovely, the APGA Championship. And so it's investment. It's also uh, using Normandy as part of our Charity Classic rotation. And then it's also working with, with UMSOL and Beyond Housing to look at making golf more diverse and inclusive, possibly setting up scholarships in the future for the UMSOL golf team and other things. So it's a really integrated partnership long term. And Nick, Normandy is a magnificent track. I think most golfers in St. Louis have played it. But heck, we've been talking about re- renovating this and getting it to as good as it can be for 30 years. How long will it take until you have it as good as it can be? You know, it's a great question, and I, Tom O'Toole has really lived this project. He's former USGA president, a great leader, and I think they're going to try to break down, break ground, excuse me, sooner rather than later, uh, either uh, 2023 and and keep it open for most of the time. It will be down for a little bit, but my expectation is by 2023, you know, Jack Nicholas is involved. The great Jack Nicholas is redesigning it. It'll be up and running, and uh, I think it's going to. You know, we now have golf as being oh, an amazing thing in North County, right? You got Norwood, you got Glen Echo, you got Normandy, you got the Charity Classic, the APGA tournament, and we're creating something special up there. And Nick, one quick note before we let you go. Uh, we get two texts during the course of our conversation. One says, this is awesome, really a good thing. And another one, <laughs> uh, Normandy's my home course. Couldn't be more thankful for these guys and for Nicholas. So obviously there's going Love to be it. a lot of reaction and it's great to hear. We love it. Thank you guys for uh, your support. has been wonderful. We're really excited about this. Just more great things for St. Louis and North St. Louis County. Nick, you're wonderful. We appreciate the time. And anytime you need time, you've got it here, okay? Thank you, guys. We'll see you soon. Take care. That's our friend Nick Ragone from the Ascension Charity Classic. Man, think about in the course of two years what they have been able to accomplish for golf in North County. It's unreal. And this investment is just going to continue that momentum in North County and for further developments. I would imagine that this is, if there are other things that might be in the works, this just pushes those along as well. That was one of the first courses I played, Normandy. I love Normandy. Yeah, so I'm glad that it's going to get back to what it should be as one of the great courses and one of the oldest courses west of the Mississippi. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk some blues hockey. 
John Kelly got to work with Jamie Rivers last night on the Blues win over Vancouver. JK next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid-County and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. The TV voice of the Blues is John Kelly. He was up late last night, so we appreciate him getting up early for us today here on 101 ESPN to talk about the Blues 4-3 victory over the Vancouver Canucks. And, J.K., it was good to see you in the building this week. How you doing? I'm doing great. It was a great win last night, Randall. I'll tell you what, it's good to get two in a row, isn't it? It is. That's, you know, especially since the Blues had struggled, really, for most of the month of March. You're know, not putting together... Uh, you know, success of victories, really. And they, they played the right way. And that's the biggest thing is, you know, you know, you want to win the game, of course, Randy. But when they play the way they played the last two games, they're a really tough team to beat. And their forecheck was great last night. All four lines were playing well. And the score really was not indicative of the play. The Blues were by far the better team. Um, they really gave Vancouver a couple of easy goals. Um, at the same time, Demko made some fabulous saves. I mean, Tarasenko himself should have had at least two goals, if not three or four. So they played a really strong game, and now the challenge is to carry it on into Edmonton and Calgary on the weekend. That is the challenge, John. It has been the challenge all season. Why do you think that that's been so difficult for the Blues to have that consistency and, and carry the momentum from games like the past two games into a stretch of wins? You know, Michelle, it's a, it's a good question. Um, probably better served to the coaches and players. Yeah, true. <laughs> you know, I'm observing like you are. And, you know, quite honestly, you know, going back, you know, even to Ken Hitchcock's days as the coach, this team has not been inconsistent like this. And there's really, to me, no rhyme or reason. It's not like, you know, this year the Blues added five or six different pieces and they changed the core and the makeup of the team. I mean, I, I know they added Sodin Buchnevich and, and, you know, a few other players this year, but it's not a drastically different team. The core is the same. So it's, it's really, it's really puzzling to me why, why they have been a, a little bit inconsistent. I think the biggest thing for this team is that they've, they've played to the level of the competition and, you know, they've lost at home to the, the likes of Arizona and, and Ottawa and, and Philadelphia and those teams. So I don't know why. Um, it's, a, it's a good question, but I think that now that you're in the stretch run, and I think you really are, to me, it, inside the 15-game mark, you're in the stretch run, and, mm-hmm. and now you've got to forget about that type of play and, and obviously play hard every night and do the best you can. But, um, yeah, it's really puzzling why they've been inconsistent. J.K., it was great to see another shorthanded goal for Robert Thomas. And over the years, Big Walt has told us he thinks Robert Thomas can become a, a Patrice Bergeron type. I want to know what you're seeing in the evolution of Robert Thomas. Well, if, if he said that, that's high praise. Yeah. Because I've always felt that Patrice Bergeron is one of the very best centers of his era. I mean, he's just a heck of a player. And, you know, good on the faceoffs, and, you know, great two-way player and, Obviously, he can put up points. So, Robert Thomas has improved his game by leaps and bounds this year, Randy. And it's it's not just in the face-off circle. 
Um, it's defensively and being more responsible and things like that. And he, he's shooting the puck more. He could still shoot the puck more, Randy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he still overpasses at times, but that's in his DNA. He'll always, he'll always be a, a pass-first kind of guy. Um, but, you know, in really one year, he has gone from the third-line center to center 1A or 1B. That, that's how good he's been this year. And, he, you know, he's still dealt with some injuries and illness and things like that. So, you know, I know O'Reilly is still the leader of this team and, and the top center, and Shen is a great player. But, um, Robert, you know, last night, a key example, late in the game, he takes two key faceoffs and win them both cleanly. And, you know, the Blues survive and win the game. So uh, his game has really rounded into form where you can depend on him in all situations and he just been become a really good hockey player, which is great to see. John, anytime Nathan Walker gets an opportunity, it feels like he makes the most of it. He, he just seems like whenever he is with the Blues that he fits right in. What have you been seeing from Nathan Walker who gets another goal last night? A.K.A. Nadub. Oh, Randy. <laughs> um, you know what? At some point, someone's got to give this guy a chance to play every night because I, I gave the numbers on the air last night after he scored. He has now scored in almost 25% of his games in the NHL, right? And I'm, I don't care who he is or, or what team he's on. That's pretty good, right? Yes. And, and that's in a limited role. And most nights he's playing on the third or fourth line. So, yeah, if I'm the head coach and the general manager, you know, I don't know how it's going to turn out this year. The Blues are obviously a deep team, and they have Bozak hopefully coming back and and, uh, you know, they're, they're a deep club. But to me, somebody's got to give this kid a chance to play on, on a nightly basis because he puts up numbers and he, he skates well and he's, he's always on the puck in great intensity. I just like the way he plays. And I think right now, you know, based on how he's played since he came back up um, for the minors last week, I think it's going to be tough to take him out of the lineup because he's been that good. So I've been very impressed. John, you just reminded me of something. In 1991, from about November on, I was working at KMOX and working until 1, 1.30 in the morning. So I would get home at 1.30 or 2. And after pretty much every Blues game, I could come home, my wife would be sleeping, and I'd say, guess who scored? And she'd go, Brett Hall? And I'd say, yeah, because he did. It was <laughs> unbelievable, wasn't it? And you called that season. Wasn't that incredible how he, well, you score 86 in 82 games, but... Every single night, and the pressure was on him. The defense was on him. Wasn't that incredible? It was incredible. It was, you know, and I, I was there every night, and Oates and Hall and the magic those two had. Um, yeah, and the thing that's amazing, Randy, as you know, he did not score any shorthanded or empty net goals that year. Right. He didn't kill penalties, and I guess he wasn't used on, you know, on the on the ice at the end of the games when the other team pulled the goalie. So had he had he done both of those, he certainly, to me, would have hit 100 goals. I mean, there's no question in my mind, at, at least 95, and would have had the all-time record. But, yeah, he, he scored every night. It was, it was magical. It really was. It was. Hey, I want to ask you one more thing, because we asked this question yesterday. If the Blues have a good road trip to Western Canada, if they win against Edmonton and Calgary, and they win in fashion like they did last night, are you going to trust them? Yeah, I I think that you could. And and I trust them now, Randy. I I just think that for whatever reason, they've let their guard down against the weaker teams. And, you know, they've played well against the top clubs. I mean, they've, they've beaten Florida and they... They knocked off Calgary, and they beat Colorado. So 
you know, that they can play with the big boys. I, I, I have no doubt that when the money's on the line, and, and to me, you're now you're in money time down the stretch, that they're going to pick up their game and be a more consistent team. So, yeah, hopefully it's not fool's gold, as they say. Um, but I do trust that now that, again, the, the games are bigger, that I, I hopefully it's behind them and the, the inconsistency is, is the thing of the past. John, we always love having you on the show. Thanks so much for the time, and we'll be watching tomorrow night for the Blues and the Oilers. All right, thank you very much. Have a good day. See you, you too. That is the TV voice of the Blues, John Kelly. It was unbelievable, Michelle. And you were so young. You were five, right, when that happened? Probably. 90, 91, four, yeah. five. But it, it became such a reaction for everybody. And it was kind of like McGuire in 98. I was just thinking that. Where it was literally, Joan would be sleeping. She'd be dead to the world. And I could say, hey, guess who scored? And she'd go, Brett Hall. <laughs> And it, it wasn't even a question. It was Brett Hall. It was because you knew who it was. Yeah. And it was that sort of anticipation going to a game in 1991. So exciting. It was great. That's awesome. So, And it'll never happen again. We'll never have somebody score 86 goals in an NHL season again. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, every listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Let's welcome in Randy's challenger this morning. Paul's with us. Good morning, Paul. How's your Thursday? Oh, Thursday's going good. How are you, Michelle? I'm doing great, thanks, Paul. Actually, today's a great day for us. We already talked to Greg Amzinger. We talked to John Kelly, Nick Ragone of the Ascension Charity Classic. And coming up, we're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford and Cardinals third baseman Nolan Arenado at 9 a.m. So, not a bad Thursday here. Um, Paul, are you ready to take on Randy in the fight? I am ready. Okay, good luck to you. Question number one for Paul. On this day in 1998, two new Major League Baseball expansion clubs made their debuts, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays in the American League, and which National League club? Was it the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Colorado Rockies, or the Florida Marlins? Let's go Florida Marlins. All right. Who is the last blue to have a point-per-game scoring season, and that is a minimum of 60 games? Is that Pavel Dimitra, Brad Boys, or Vladimir Tarasenko? Uh, Pavel Dimitra. Paul, what was Pavel Bure's nickname? Excuse me. (laughs) The Russian Rocket, the Bolshevik Blur, or the Red Rocket? The Russian Rocket. And who was the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to earn a win against all 30 teams? Was that Kurt Schilling, Woody Williams, or Al Leiter? Who was the first one? Who, yeah, who was the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to earn a win against all 30 teams? Kurt Schilling, Woody Williams, or Al Leiter? So is Schilling. All right, let's check Paul's score here. Yep, confirmed. Randy's coming in. I ate a granola bar during the break, and I did not. 
I, it's cut in my throat. I started coughing. into a microphone. I started coughing. I started coughing in the middle oh my of my uh, update. I haven't been able to really stop either. Excuse me. As I clear my throat, let me clear my throat. What was that? DJ Cool? Please let yeah. me clear my throat. Yeah. By Shout the way, DJ cool. I don't know if you guys have used it yet, but our station with all the renovation has a brand new industrial sized ice machine, which is absolutely awesome. Is it cubes? Pebble ice? What cubes, are we working with? Cubes. Spectacular cubes. They're great. Randy with the water bottle today, a rare occurrence. Randy brings in, brings in his own Propel bottles oh, every Michelle. day. Oh, there it is. Okay. You got Propel too. You got Who did we just talk to the other day? Oh, David, David Perron. Yeah, he just <laughs> grabbed a Propel. He, David, he was drinking yeah. it and he was like, nah, I don't really like we it. Came, we came in to interview David Perron in person and he had a Propel in his hand. Randy lit up like a Christmas tree. He's yeah. like, oh, you're yeah. a Propel guy? Me too. And he's like, no, I just grabbed this. <laughs> I don't even care. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that was a little fun story. Randy, say good morning to Paul that no one probably cared about. Paul, good morning. Great to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. How you doing? I'm doing well. Good luck to you, Randy. Good luck to you, too. Thank you. Oh, look at this. Sportsmanship at its finest. Yeah. Shake hands before the match and after. Make sure the replay pops up. Are we shaking? You're Will Smithing everyone after the fight with I your drops. I yes. I don't oh, slap yes, anybody. You are. With your audio drops, you're Will Smithing them with audio. That just happened. See? Open palm smack to the face to your opponents. Well, a guy that played Muhammad Ali is going with an open hand slap. I don't get it. You know what? It's like Adam Schefter, assault, period. Either way. Clo- yeah. Close fist, open fist, he it's knows still a hand to the face. It has happened. He knows the, the power from 12 years mm-hmm. ago that he can still harness. You see the yeah. way he tore, twisted those hips? There was action in those hips, like a Tiger Woods swing. Yeah. He did pause a beat before he wound back and hit him. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're going to take his award away, by the way. The Academy really thinking about it. It's like taking away Michigan's banners and stuff. It's stupid. They, they, we already know he won, right? It's the Reggie Bush Heisman. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We, we know he won. Okay, Randy, you ready to do ready. the fight? Enough Will Smith chatter here on 101 ESPN, even though it has captivated the nation, mm-hmm, that storyline. Well, because we had Albert Pujols sign yep. with the Cardinals. Thank we had a, a big bit of news ourselves. On this day in 1998, Randy, two new Major League Baseball expansion clubs made their debuts. The Tampa Bay Devil Rays in the American League and which National League club? That would have been, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Andy Bennis's Arizona Diamondbacks. Who is the last blue to have a point-per-game scoring season with a minimum of 60 games played? I would think that that's Pavel Dimitra back in 02-ish. Another Pavel, Pavel Bure. What was his nickname, Randy? The Russian Rocket. And his brother, former Blue Valeri, is married to Candace Cameron Bure of Hallmark movie fame. Excuse me, oh, you mean a full house fame? She's DJ Tanner. But she was Candace Cameron then. Now she's Candace Cameron Bure. She, was, she wasn't married to him when she did was DJ Tanner, was she? It does not matter. She's DJ, DJ forever. Mary's Pavel D- Burry's little brother. She's DJ mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. It's kind of like what? John Hamm. Illustrious career. No matter what he does, he will always be Don Draper. Just like Steve Carell, amazing comedian, also can do drama. He will always be Michael Scott. She will always be DJ Tanner. Okay. Don't you think? Michelle's out here. I, I never watched the show. People. <gasps> not once. Never seen it. Randy, what? Not you once. You never watched Full House? Nope. No. So if I, I said cut it out, you wouldn't know what that meant. Nope. Don't know. Randy, really? this I, is I, a I, mess. I the, no, that, 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 that's nothing for you. No, nothing. Oh my gosh, Randy, that's a miss by you. Probably but. watching a game. 
I mean, just just to watch John Stamos, you should be watching the show. That's right, Uncle Jesse. Exactly. Aunt Becky, what a love story. <laughs> Those two crazy kids. Who is Aunt Becky? Uh, Lori Laughlin. She in jail oh, yeah, now. she got in trouble, yeah, didn't she? Yeah, she, she arrested. She wound up on Hallmark, too. Did she ever go into the slammer? She did. I think for like three weeks. Wow, yeah. wow. And then like immediately got yeah. back out. Yeah. Well deserved. Do you think the punishment fit the crime? Yes. Yeah. Come on. She tried to get a kid in school. <laughs> well, it bribed people to get her kid in the school. Well, isn't it <laughs> the, the exact same thing as making a huge donation? Hey, you got to play on the right side. <laughs> jump When you're jumping rope, just make sure you keep your feet clear. That's all I I'm mean, saying. Come on. You really think that there was an overwhelming necessity to get more rowers at a private school, USC? Randy, clearly that's what they had to do in order to get their kid in. And they took a spot from a a student who earned it and who deserved it. Well, let them go to a slammer. Let them go to a public school and row at a public school. There's plenty of public schools that have rowing. What? So you're saying that the the potential rower is just SOL? Yeah. But their kid, Olivia Jade, was a YouTube influencer. She was not a rower. She was Welcome a Welcome to rower. life. No, I think that's ridiculous, and I'm glad that Aunt Becky went to the slammer. <laughs> I think my favorite part about that I'm entire sorry. story is that she was at USC and had a big OJ uh, monogram in her dorm room, which is hilarious to me, because <laughs> her name was Olivia Jade. Well, <laughs> well, and she was, as a student, she was pretty sharp. Number four in the fight, because that's where we're at here today. Mm-hmm. Who was the last pitcher, in, or who was the first pitcher? Who was the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to earn a win against all 30 teams? Okay. So you had probably early on. I don't think we'll do Andy Bennis twice here. Um... I'm thinking Benisser Johnson because Randy Johnson was in the American League. Well, no, he wouldn't have gotten one against Seattle. So could it have been the Rocket? Because I don't think Andy would have. No, because Andy wouldn't have gotten one against the Mariners either. So Pedro? No, because he would have never gotten one against the Expos. So Rocket would have been able to take care of the American League, but Rocket would have never pitched against the Astros. I'll do the lifeline. Was it Kurt Schilling, Woody Williams, or Al Leiter? Okay. Uh, Leiter is a good call here. Toronto, the Yankees, the Marlins, the Mets. Kurt Schilling, Baltimore, Philly... Arizona, Boston. That would have happened about 2004. Lighter would have been a little bit before that. And my other guy was besides Lighter and uh, Schilling. Who was my third guy? Lighter, Schilling, and Woody Williams. Wood, the Woody Woodman. So Toronto, St. Louis, Padres. I. Don't think Woody would have pitched against the Cardinals early enough. I'm going to go Al Leiter here. Well, this fight went off the rails. It was long. It was long, but it was brought back around. Did Paul patiently endure all of our stupid chatter about Aunt (laughs) Becky and Full House and OJ and whatever else we talked about to emerge victorious? Or did Randy just waste his time? 
Did Randy, is Randy going to Will Smith him with audio? Matt, let him know. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! That just happened. Let's try this again. That just happened. Just win, baby. I'm sorry, Paul. Randy beat you four to two. We tried to dis- distract him. It didn't work. I'm sorry. Hi. Thank you. You guys have a good day. Thanks, you Paul. Too. You Thank too. Thank you, Paul. All right. On this day in 98, two new Major League Baseball expansion clubs made their debut. It was the Tampa Bay Devil Rays in the American League and the Arizona Diamondbacks in the National League. Pavel Dimitra was the last blue to have a point per game scoring season with a minimum of 60 games. He had 93 points in 78 games. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Pavel Bure, a.k.a. the Russian Rocket, had a brother who married... <laughs> <laughs> DJ, DJ, DJ Tanner and Al Leiter was the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to earn a win against all 30 teams. It happened on April 30th, 2002 versus the Diamondbacks, by the way. That was when he completed that. So, Randy, congratulations. Hmm, pretty good. We'll do it again tomorrow. Get your popcorn ready. <laughs> One of these days we're bringing back the wheel and the punishment for you is that I get the sound machine. <laughs> no, yes, no, yes, no, we can't do it's that. It's going to be the punishment and I'm praying that it lands on that because I'm going to take that thing and not only remove it from your clutches, but I'm going to utilize it. I'm going to weaponize it against you. <laughs> you will not. Yes, I will. You don't have the ability. <laughs> Don't do Paul like that. He was so patient. He waited through all of our nonsense. Don't, don't, Le- LeBron James. Good job, good effort, kid. Him. LeBron James. LeBron James. Uh, By the way, you mentioned during our FanDuel ad, your, you said my Lakers, your Lakers. Huh? Oh yeah, I like them now because they're going to finish in eleventh. Oh okay, so if they pop back into number ten and they then become a playoff like team, you're, you're out. Yeah, I won't like it at all. So you only like the Lakers in a losing effort. Exactly. Okay, great. Yeah, these days. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. I'm 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's time now for... Brady, the NFL never stops. It never stops. As soon as we think all of the big moves have been made, all of the dominoes have fallen. Oh, Aaron Rodgers decides to stay in Green Bay. Green Bay. Tom Brady unretires. Oh, Russell Wilson is going to the Denver Broncos. Deshaun Watson. Oh, he's landing with the Cleveland Browns. What does that mean for Baker Mayfield? Tyree killed to the Dolphins. What? It's every day. There's some major storyline involving a star. And yesterday was no different with the news coming out that Bruce Arians is stepping down after three seasons as a Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach. He's staying with the organization, though, and moving into a front office role. This means that Tampa Bay defensive coordinator Todd Bowles, he's going to replace Bruce Arians as the head coach. The Super Bowl was the second weekend in February this year, and I would argue that 
there may have been three or four days in the couple of months since where there hasn't been an NFL story. And it's not like they're little. Like you said, it's quarterbacks getting traded. It's big draft trades. It's people retiring, coming back, coaches Mm -hmm. retiring. And now we are almost to their draft. They take June off, basically, in the NFL. The other 12 or 11 months of the year, they own it. As big as the NBA is in this country, the NFL offseason has taken a lot of precedence over the NBA season. And I wonder if June will even be taken off. I don't know. There will be some sort of storyline. It just seems like whether it's trouble off the field Mm -hmm. or what, there's always something that's percolating in the NFL. And that's the one thing about it is that I don't know if Roger Goodell buys into this or not, but there's an old adage, there's no such thing as bad publicity. And even with the Deshaun Watson thing, people are talking about the Cleveland Browns in the NFL, and there's going to be intrigue and interest and people watching when he plays his first game for Cleveland. One thing we've really learned is that people genuinely will hate watch something. Yeah. And even the people that are angry that the Cleveland Browns not only acquired Deshaun, but gave him all that guaranteed money will likely hate watch him. So it's just another ratings boom for the NFL. No matter what happens, People are going to watch. We talked about it at, at the top of the show. We as a country are collectively addicted to this league. Mm-hmm. It's a drug. We cannot separate ourselves from it. And the other thing that has quietly happened here after so much consternation, and there still should be a lot of consternation, but all of a sudden there are six minority coaches in the NFL. Interesting. It, it happened quietly. Yes, it did. But Mike McDaniel gets hired, Lovey gets hired, mm-hmm. Todd Bowles gets hired, and they join Tomlin and Rivera and Robert Sala. So you've got six minority coaches in the league, and now the NFL, Roger Goodell, can go to a podium and say, well, almost 25% of our league has minority coaches. We aren't doing good enough, but we're doing better. He can say that. And you mentioned Todd Bowles taking over that role after Bruce Arians decided to retire. Well, not technically retire, air quotes, since he is moving into that front office role. But he went 31-18 and 18 in three seasons with Tampa Bay. It's the highest win percentage of any coach in Buccaneers history, Randy. He led them to a Super Bowl victory, obviously, in 2020. He's got Tom Brady coming back. So why choose to step away? Here's ESPN's Jeff Darlington. Well, Bruce Arians' decision to retire from coaching football certainly stunned the NFL, but not necessarily the organization. For the past couple of weeks, the Bucks have been working with Arians to decide exactly how they would go about his succession plan, with Arians really wanting to make sure that Todd Bowles was the coach who was going to step in to that head coaching position. I texted with Arians late throughout the night, talking to him about this decision. And ultimately, he said that he wanted to make sure that Bowles was stepping into a situation where he was able to succeed. Succession plans have been very important to Arians, and he knows that once Tom Brady was coming back to this team, he said it actually made his decision to retire easier because he knew that Bowles would be in a better situation to coach a solid team in 2022, and he could leave the Bucks organization in good hands for the future. And Michelle, he is 69 years old, and NFL coaches are stupid because Coach A thinks that Coach B is getting to bed at 3 in the morning and then back to work at 5 in the morning. So Coach A thinks, well, i got to get to bed at 3.30 in the morning and get to work at 4.30 in the morning because I can't be outworked by Coach B. And what these guys are doing is coming in and spending time. They're reading uh, 
the internet. They're reading the newspapers and stories on the internet and ESPN.com and stuff. They aren't coaching. They aren't working. Mm-hmm. But they have to be in the office with the light on so that there's a perception that they're working as hard as the other guy. Or it could be option C, Steve Spagnuolo, who sleeps in the office. Right. Who doesn't even take right. those two hours at home. And so Arians legitimately, I'm sure, was coaching probably, kind of like Coach Vermeil did here, probably getting home at 11 at night and getting back at 5 in the morning. That's hard to do when you're almost 70 years old. And then all of the pressures of being a head coach, dealing with the media, dealing with the off-field issues that players have to deal with. And there are a few in Tampa. I mean, heck, they used to have a... They, they used to bring in a camper to use as a strip club on their parking lot at Raymond James Stadium. So hmm. there are off-field things that occur in Tampa. It's creative. It is. It was a good idea. You know what I mean? All right. Well, Tom Brady, after 40 days, decided to unretire, and Bruce Arians makes this decision now. So a lot of people are trying to connect the dots to see if Tom Brady's decision to return had any bearing on Bruce Arians' decision to walk away. Now, a source told ESPN that Arians actually informed Tom Brady of his decision to step aside shortly after Tom Brady announced his return. So this wasn't a secret to Tom Brady yesterday. And Tom Brady did have a very gracious Instagram post, Randy, because we know he's so good at social media, saying that he'll he'll be forever grateful for his decision to go to Tampa Bay and play for Bruce Arians. But did Tom Brady have any influence on this decision? Here's Adam Schefter from ESPN. Well, I I do think that it is a decision made by Bruce Arians. I do think that. Now, I do think that there also will be speculation about the question that you asked. That will come up. I don't know that we're ever going to say how valid it is or isn't. Um, There's been speculation about their relationship, about how well they do or don't get along. I think Tom's got a healthy amount of respect for Bruce Arians. But I think those questions do exist. And I think they'll continue to come up here. I don't have an exact answer for you other than those questions will be asked, which I think is in and of itself something that is of note. Interesting, because Adam has his ear to the ground and Brady clearly went to Tampa with the idea that he could be the boss like Peyton Manning was Mm -hmm. in Denver. So those are interesting comments about whether or not they did have a good personal relationship. Working relationship obviously was fine, but was the relationship personally strong enough to keep Arians around? Clearly, he he didn't have that much affinity for Brady that it kept him working. Well, remember all of the conversations that were had uh, a couple seasons ago about, oh, they're playing Mm -hmm. golf, they're talking it out. It it did seem like there was a little bit of consternation at the beginning that they tried to downplay. So, yeah, if I'm Bruce Arians and I want Todd Bowles to get this opportunity and I'm trying to... uh, puppeteered a certain way and maybe I don't want to deal with Tom Brady. I'm tired. I want to step aside. It seems like the right time for him. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. All right. Apparently, Nolan Arenado is fired up about joining us on Carriker and Smallman this morning. So we'll get to him, the Cardinal third baseman, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Uh, Albert Pujols, I love you, man. You're one of the greatest to ever play this game, and I hope you get to go out the right way. Uh, you know, you're just, I'm just a huge fan, and uh, I hope you hear this one day because you know you're my favorite player. That is the voice of the Cardinal third baseman, Nolan Arenado, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and we head down to Jupiter, Florida. And joining us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is Nolan Arenado, who joined us after he was traded here, then did a video for us after a baby was named after him, after his opening day home run last year. So now, Nolan Arenado, officially a friend of the show, Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Nolan. How are you doing? 
I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Everything's great. Hey, we need to know, because we've listened to that before, what you said last year when Albert was DFA'd by the Angels. When you got word, and you got word before all of us, that Albert was going to join the Cardinals again, what was your reaction? Um, well, I was extremely excited and a little bit in shock, but mostly excited. You know, I got to know Albert a little bit off the field, you know, he, you know, we, I, I see him in the off season a little bit. He lives in Southern California, so I would see him around a little bit, and uh, it's just mostly. Uh, so it's been great. Um, I, I'm just so stoked. I mean, I can learn a lot from him. I could still get better, and he can get us better. But um, just him being on our team, and it's just surreal to see that. You know, I'm a Cardinal, and when I was watching him when I was younger, was, was when he was a Cardinal. So to play with him, it's amazing. Nolan, you kind of went out of your way to get that message out there to him, the one we just played. And you said, I hope you get to hear this. Did he hear that? Did he reach out to you after you said that he was your favorite player? Um, I mean, we, yeah, we talked a little bit. You know, he would come by. I have a, I have a warehouse in Southern California, and he would come by and hit there. You know, sometimes he'd come by and just want to hit. And I would say, yeah, no problem. Come hit whenever you want. You know, my brother would throw him batting practice or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I think, you know, talking to him about it last year a little bit. I know he said he appreciated the video, um, but like I said, it's just great to have him back here now, and it's just so cool to see him and Yachty right next to each other in the locker room. It's just two legends of the game. It's pretty cool just being a part of it. Hey, Nolan, when you talk hitting with a guy like that, when we talk to Mark McGuire, he he always focuses on the mental approach, and when I've talked to Albert about hitting, it's always the mental approach. When you guys, when hitters get together, is there much physical talked about? What, what, how do you guys talk about hitting? Yeah, well, first, uh, first I'll say I'm probably not doing a lot of the talking. I'm probably <laughs> letting Albert do most of the talking, to be honest with you, um, but... Uh, um, you know, and that's the thing with Big Mac too. You know, Big Mac lives in Southern. Cal- I know him from Southern California also, and I've talked to him about hitting. It's not me doing the talk. You know, I'm just listening to those guys talk um, a whole lot, and it's just just learning and trying to see how they approach certain guys or what they feel when they're not feeling right. What do they try to do? Um, you know, about getting back to the basics, all those little things. Like I said, I, I, I'm more listening than talking. Nolan, when you look back at last spring, it had to be a lot for you. You had a new team, a new facilities, a new routine. That has to be difficult after eight years in the same place. But as you got to Jupiter this year, I imagine your comfort level must have been a little different, right? Oh, yeah, my, yeah absolutely. My comfort, comfort level is just, you know, I would say 10 times different. You know, it just feels great to know exactly where I need to be. Um, I know everything about this place now, you know, compared to last year where I was you know, I had no idea where my locker was. I had no idea where the training room was. All those little things. So, just being there now, it's just it's been uh, it's been great. I'm a lot more comfortable, and I'm excited to take that into the season. You know, knowing exactly where I live and all those little things about St. Louis, I feel like the transition is going to be so much easier and a lot better. You told Katie Wu of the Athletic that last year wasn't good enough for you, and that you expect to be a better ball player this year. Tell me what that looks like. What do you envision as a better version of Nolan Arenado this season? Well, I just think having better at-bats, playing better defense, getting on base, all those little things, um, just using the whole field. I've said this a lot already, but those are the things I think about. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, that's just it. I mean, I just just want to get better at the whole thing, offense and defense. And uh, I know I did a good job last year, but there's still room to get better, and I know I'm better than that. There's certain things that I felt last year that, you know, I should say there's certain things that I was doing last year that I was having trouble feeling what I wanted to feel that I felt in the past. And I feel like I'm having those feelings again. And that's a huge thing because now I feel like I could let the ball travel. All these little things that 
you know, hitting's complicated. I don't want to get too complicated, but there's just some things that I'm feeling that I feel really good about. Hey, Nolan, you were legendary in Colorado for getting to the ballpark early, especially during spring training. So who wins between you and Yachty in spring training? Who gets to the ballpark first? <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. That's, that's close. I, uh, <laughs> I would probably go with Yachty. He gets there prettier. Yeah, I, I, I deserve. I, I got to get it to Yadi because he's actually doing like blocking drills at like six six in the morning. So I'm definitely not taking ground balls at six in the morning. I'm still probably drinking coffee and getting loose in the train. Okay, tell us about the coffee. Are you a, a Starbucks guy? Do you make the coffee at home? Do you have a Kirk Keurig? What's the routine for Nolan Arenado coffee wise? Yeah, I would do coffee at home, but I do a Starbucks a lot. Yeah, I like cold brew. I like van- the vanilla sweet cream cold brew. Mm-hmm. Um, I- Try not to put too much in there just because it's a little sugary, but a couple shots in there get you going for sure. I have a feeling, Nolan, a lot of people in St. Louis are writing this down. They're going to order the Nolan Arenado <laughs> the next time that they go to Starbucks. <laughs> um, but I want to go back to Gaddy. Love- there was a great story about him getting suits for the coaching staff that there was all these fabrics and everyone was pick- picking out their different cuts and their looks. Tell us what that was like in the clubhouse. Yeah, that was pretty cool to see. You know, the, we, we know the suit guy, he came by, and uh, I saw all the coaches doing it, and then I actually found out later it was Yachty that was buying all the suits. So just first class. He's just a first-class teammate. He's a first-class human. Um, and it's just a joy to play with a guy like that, honestly. It's just special. Um, I, you know, I, I definitely don't – I want to try to cherish my moments with him this year, you know, because don't, I don't know if it's going to be his last or not, but – uh, you know, I think he's still got a lot left. That's just my opinion, but I know he's got other ventures he's he's thinking about. But he's just a grinder, and when he when he's on the baseball field, his focus is strictly on the game and finding ways to get better. It's just amazing to see someone that has accomplished so much do that. Those guys are going to keep those suits forever. Is there ever a gift that you've gotten from a veteran player or a teammate that was really meaningful to you that you're going to keep forever? Um, yeah, you know, I think, you know, when I was younger in the minor leagues, Tulo used to give me some big league bats. And when you're in the minor leagues, you don't get big league wood. It's a big difference. So <laughs> that was a huge deal to me. Um, and then Adrian Beltre, Adrian Beltre gave me one of his gloves, um, with gold patch on it. That's something that I have hanging at my house. Uh, that, that meant a lot to me. Um, and then Albert signed me a jersey. Um, I got some cool jerseys from Buster Posey, Kershaw, Goldie, um, Crawford, you know, I got some cool signed jerseys from some people. Mike Schmidt signed a jersey for us and a bat, so that was pretty special. Hey, Nolan, uh, Ozzy used to have a restaurant here in town, and he would display all 13 gold gloves there. Where are the Nolan Arenado gold gloves and platinum glove displayed? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I would probably say uh, my mom and my dad have my first one at their house. Um, I got last, I got 20. 2020 i think or 2019 at my house and then the rest are at my warehouse where i go hit and train and stuff like that that's very cool it's and and it's it's pretty cool to be able to give that first one to your parents that must have been really fun yeah i don't know if i gave it to them i think they just took it to be honest (laughs) with you but uh, it's all good you know i love them i know where it's at so that's what matters but i'm they didn't took it so it's all good that's right um nolan i want to circle back to albert Pujols for a second you said that he's your favorite player what is it specifically about him and his game that makes him your favorite player oh he's just he was a complete player you know and offense and defense he played great d he actually still bases and run um and obviously offensively what he did was just, you know, nobody's really done that offensively. From a, you know, maybe him and Miggy are the only two guys that have ever, you know, I don't know, just hit. I mean, he had a 10-year run. He hit 300 with 30 and 100 or something like that. It's just insane. It's just crazy to think that someone did that in this game um, at the, the the best level and the best pitchers. But Albert did it. 
Um, he's obviously, you know, to me, the greatest right-handed hitter ever. Um, so just watching him, that was my dad. My, my dad loved watching Albert. He always told me to watch, pay attention to him, the way he plays the game, the way he hits and stuff. So that was just the guy we paid attention to. And then obviously seeing what he did is, is insane. And then obviously playing in Bush last year, me getting a first taste of it, um, it's not an easy ballpark to hit in. And then understanding that, you know, he was hitting 40, you know, 340 and 100 there. It's, it's amazing. It's crazy. You're someone that always wants to be better. You're, you're looking to be the greatest version of yourself, and that includes winning. We know how badly you want to win. There's so many guys in that clubhouse that match that energy, whether it's Yachty or Wayno, Paul Goldschmidt, now Albert Pujols. What's it like for you to be in an environment where you're around all of these people that can match that vibe, that are constantly pushing themselves and therefore you to be better? Oh, I mean, it's great. I mean, we, we, we all have one thing on our minds, and that's winning. I mean, uh, it's just great to have that because – even the young guys here, man, all they do, the, the, the Cardinals do a great job, but when they bring guys up, the, the concern is about winning. And uh, there's no doubt that that's, that's our goal. And uh, like I said, when, you, you've, when you've done some things in this game, you want to go glove or silver slugger or whatever, you know, and you've been financially stable, you want to win. And that's what it comes down to. And uh, I've never, you know, I've gone to the playoffs, and last year was so much fun, and the times with the Rockies were great, but I want to win a World Series, and... I believe we have a really good team and we could do some great things this year. I was going to ask you that, uh, Nolan, because Ollie said at the outset of spring training, our expectation is to win a World Series. Obviously, you won't have Jack for a couple of weeks, but otherwise, when you watch this first week of games, what do you think of what you've seen? Well, I see. I, I, well, first of all, I would say the first day, from the first day, I can really tell that guys are really working hard and. I've been impressed with everyone's work ethic. I mean, that's been the big one. Uh, I think, you know, you you know, you know, get worried because we kind of started at a random time. You get worried if guys might not be ready or something, but not with us, man. Everyone came in super ready, super prepared, and that was really cool to see. And uh, um, I think that, that was a huge sign for me that, hey, guys are prepared. They're, they're actually in great shape, and I'm glad I wasn't the only one <laughs> hitting extra and all that. I knew everyone else was. That's the great thing about our group is that everyone works, so – I just think we're prepared for the season. We're ready to go. It's a long season. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs because that's just the way it goes in baseball. But uh, I like our chances. Uh, Two more quick things. Number one, you've talked a couple of times about the warehouse. Can you give us a visual of this warehouse that people are hitting in? Yeah, um, it's just a warehouse. There's a weight room in there, batting cage. Um, There's some offices. It's like my own personal, like, fantasy factory. Um, But... I love it. It's where I work out in off season, me and my trainers, and then uh, and that's where I hit with my brother, and uh, I bring people to hit with, and then I always tell people whoever whoever's in Orange County that wants to get some work in and want to get some work in in a private you know atmosphere, you know, because you know a lot of pro guys they don't want to be hitting with a bunch of people around, you know, they want to work in private, and that's why I always told Albert about it. I told I told a lot of people about it because I think to really get that good work, you want to have it like a private setting, and there's nothing more private than that place. So. It's, it's been amazing. I love it. Um, I live there. Basically, I go there every day, even if I'm hitting or not. We just basically go there, hang out, talk hitting, and it's the best. And that's that's great. And finally, Nolan, and we appreciate your time this morning. Uh, as you know, Cardinal fans love you. You're going to turn 31 in a couple of weeks. As you look around now and you see 42-year-old Albert Pujols and you see 40-year-old Adam Wainwright and 39-year-old uh, Yadier Molina, are you thinking about playing a long time? Does that make you think, I'd really like to do that because I love this game so much? 
Yeah, I mean, ideally, I would like to. You know, I think I would like to pay. I would like to play past my contract, but you know that will, you know. But we'll see how I feel physically. But I would. I, I don't want to play too long because I would like to be home and I like to have family and do those little things and enjoy that time. But there's definitely. I definitely feel like. I would like to play longer than I'm 37, um, but we'll see. You know, like I said, I physically feel really good right now. That's a huge sign. I take care of my body, but if for some reason I start to feel really bad, then obviously I probably wouldn't want to. But, you know, I, I like to. Right now my goal is to play longer than my contract for sure. Hey, last time we talked to McGuire, uh, we told him about opening day and that you hadn't really had the opportunity to play before the, the giant house. And he said, so he really hasn't gotten the treatment yet. You're going to get the treatment a week from today. And we're lo- really looking forward to it where there's not an empty seat in the house and you get to enjoy everything about Cardinal opening day. Yeah, I've heard great things. Last year was special. Um, obviously, I, you know, I know it wasn't as many fans, but it was still a great day. Um, it was obviously special hitting, you know, a home run to take the lead and win, but it was definitely just a great atmosphere. And then obviously when they allowed full capacity against the Cubs, that was a crazy atmosphere. That was so much fun. So I'm looking forward to it. I know the Cardinal fans are unbelievable, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Hey, Nolan, we appreciate your time. We will see you next week when you guys make it back into town. Have a great rest of the spring. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Take care. That is Nolan Arenado, the Cardinals all-star four-time silver slugger, nine-time gold glove, five-time platinum glove, third baseman. Who says he wants to get better at defense? (laughs) (laughs) He's great. What a great get by the Cardinals. And one thing that the Cardinals do when they get players is their due diligence tells them whether the guy's a hard worker. And that's Mm -hmm. why they signed Albert Pujols when they gave him the $100 million contract in 2004. Uh, that's why they signed Matt Holiday to the big contract. That's why they give Goldie the big contract. That's why they acquired and and took care of Arenado. Because they know, and Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina set the tone here, obviously. Yes. They know that if a guy is working to get better all the time, it's going to lift the team. A rising tide lift, lifts all boats. And this is a guy who just talked about how his favorite place is a warehouse that he built so that he can get hitting in whenever he wants. It's a fantasy factory. That's how much he loves baseball. It's great. Hey, we heard some fun things out of that. We'll come back and give you our reaction. If you want to text in what you thought of Nolan Arenado, that's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Nolan Greg Amsinger's question. So we're going to talk to Nolan on Wednesday when the Cardinals work out before the home opener on Thursday. And uh, I'm going to bring a machine along and I will ask Nolan that specific question so that we can air it for you on opening day. Um, Greg needs to know the answer to that. Yeah, he does. He really went out of his way to make sure that we had that question geared up. But we were so engrossed in speaking with Nolan Arenado that we forgot. Sorry, Greg. Yeah, and so... Should Starbucks connect with Nolan Arenado so that, and by the way, if you aren't aware of it, this is Michelle's order yeah. at Starbucks as well. You might have heard me when he said it. I went, uh-huh, that's exactly what I get. I got a cold brew with vanilla cold foam. It's absolutely delicious. And that cold brew, that gets in your veins. You're ready to go. You're locked in like Nolan Arenado. But I do think participating Starbucks in the St. Louis area should call it the Arenado. You walk up to the counter, you say, hey, give me a banana and an Arenado to go. Grande. And 
if you do just make the order, if they don't partner the two sides, when you do make your order, tell them that your name is Nolan. <laughs> right on the cup. <laughs> I imagine. Think about that. The home opener, Randy. Everyone's mm-hmm. so excited. One week from today, Albert Pujols is back. You're waking up. You're putting on your Cardinal red. You're getting ready to go downtown. Oh, I need to have some coffee this morning. Start your day with the Arenado. Yeah. Do you? I, I don't know. I know that everybody wants to believe that their team acted differently during the lockout. I thought it was notable that he said, hey, we were all ready when we got in. And I wonder if the Cardinals were that much different than other teams. But if they perceive that, and by the way, when you look at the record in spring training, it would lead you to believe that they were pretty much ready to go. But if they believe that, I think that's a big part of the battle is winning upstairs. But who on this team could you look at and say, I'm surprised he was ready. I mean, without giving out names, there were some Cardinals in the past that were not ready to go. Carlos Martinez, Marcelo Zuna. I was thinking Ozuna, yeah, Martinez. Those were the two names that popped to my mind without calling them out. But there we go. Here we go. Uh, but you know what? They've the the club has spoken about it, so it's not you know off base for us to talk about mm-hmm. that. But what guy on this team does not have? a good work ethic. Tyler O'Neill is pounding protein and hitting the weights. He, you know, he's ready to go. Harrison Bader, Dylan, Dylan Carlson loves mm-hmm. baseball so much that when I asked him, what do you like to do outside of baseball? His answer, Randy was eat. Yeah. That's the only thing he could think of outside of baseball eat. that he mm-hmm. loves. Uh, you know, Tommy Edmonds going to be ready to go. Flaherty. Paul, you know that Jack is the Mamba mentality. We saw him on Instagram working out. Paul DeYoung's journey of, of getting ready for this season and trying to find himself has been well documented. You know, the, on the corner, Goldie, Arenado, they're ready to go. Wayno, Yachty, the, the pitching staff, we've heard all of them and how they were ready to go. There's no one on this team that doesn't match that energy level. And that starts from the top down. When you have leaders like Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, and obviously this was before Albert Pujols even got thrown back into the mix, do you really want to be the guy that even though there's a lockout going on that doesn't show up to camp no, ready to good go? Point. I don't want to be the one that arrives in Jupiter and I have to answer to number four. No way. No way. No way. (laughs) Michelle, I was thinking as he spoke a couple of times, it was cool that he had Albert and Big Mac out to his warehouse. I was thinking about, okay, here is probably in the middle of an industrial park in Southern California. You go by a a lightly colored brick building with no signage, maybe a, a little office area in front with a window. And you say, wonder what that is. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's, a wheel store in Maryland Heights that's kind of like that. You say, well, what? but they, you know, they sell wheels there, but this has no signage. So what is it? What's, what, what is the warehouse? And Nolan, when asked about the visual, gave us this. It's just, it's a warehouse. There's a weight room in there, batting cage, um, or some offices. It's like my own personal, like fantasy factory. Um, but I love it. It's where I work out in off season, me and my trainers. And then, uh, and that's where I hit with my brother, and uh, I bring people to hit with. And then I always tell people whoever whoever's in Orange County that wants to get some work in and want to get some work in in a private, you know, atmosphere. You know, because you know a lot of pro guys they don't want to be hitting with a bunch of people around. You know, they want to work in private, and that's why I always told Albert about it. I told I told a lot of people about it. I can imagine guys wanting to go there, not only to work out with Nolan, but the fact that he's probably got it 
all tricked out and it is so private and they can go there and really drill in. And think think about that. We've talked a lot about Albert Pujols being a mentor to some of these guys, Mm -hmm. but that Nolan Arenado has set up this safe haven for a lot of players where they can go and not only try things and try to improve their craft, but pick the brains of other really smart baseball people. He, He calls it a fantasy factory. That has to be so great for people like him that love baseball to think in the offseason a lot of these guys can get together they can meet at this place and they can utilize the expertise of each other and help one another get better when you think about his passion for the game isn't it amazing how he reflects cardinal nation oh my gosh how much he loves it and he loves being a cardinal and how much Cardinal fans love baseball and love him. It's just like the perfect marriage. It's one of those things where you can't believe that he hasn't been here more than a season. That it it hasn't always been this way because he is so quintessentially a Cardinal. He is everything on and off paper that the club could have ever asked for to represent them. And Michelle, I want you to tell us about the text that the Cardinal PR guy sent us about, what, 10, 15 minutes before the interview? Yeah, so the first time we spoke to Nolan, this was right when he was acquired by the Cardinals. He called in five minutes early, yeah. which uh, a little bit Never of happens. inside media athletes are, <laughs> if they're on time, it's great, but usually they're a couple minutes late and usually it's a PR person having to pull them out of a workout or whatever to, to get them to do it because, you know, they've got a job to do. The media is part of it, but a lot of them don't love doing that. But Nolan Arnado called in five minutes early and we get a text that he was so geared up, he was ready to call 10 minutes before the interview <laughs> And had to be reminded to call at, at on time or else he was just going to have to wait. But but just think about that, just the type of person that is, that not only would agree to do this, but would be so cognizant of it that he wants to call in 10, minute, 10 minutes early to not waste our time. He's just a, a, a great guy. First class. We're getting so many texts on the text line about how you know the, the legacy of Cardinal baseball is in great hands with guys like Goldie and Arenado and that he's just the best on and off the field. I mean, again, another story that we've shared before, but I think bears repeating is there was that story that came out about the baby that was born during Nolan Arenado's home opener home run and the couple changed the baby's name to Nolan. And when I heard that story, I thought, oh, this is kind of a long shot, but I'll reach out to the Cardinals because we were going to have the couple on the show. And I thought, how cool would that be if Nolan Arenado could give a message to the family and to the baby that they could have forever? Like, what a special story. And I thought, man, you know, he might not do it, but it doesn't hurt to ask. That would be a great mm-hmm. gift to give the family. And not only did he do it, he said yes and had it a great video that he turned around within like 30 minutes. He yeah. had, n- didn't even think twice about it. He's just a, a great person. And St. Louis is so lucky to have so many wonderful athletes. And thanks to Nolan for taking the time with us. Spent about 15 minutes with us this morning here on Carriker and Smallman. Next up, Jeremy Rutherford. He's our Blues insider from The Athletic, and he's going to talk about the Blues' two-game two game winning streak. All right, let's go. It's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Jeremy Rutherford covers the blues for the athletic. He is our blues insider here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? 
Good morning. You know how good the show is? You know how I can tell? Is I was so engrossed uh, listening to the Nolan interview and, and the comments you guys had afterwards that uh, I didn't realize I was coming on. I'm just <laughs> driving down the road. I'm driving down the road. Okay, what's next? What do they have next? And you guys said, hey, we're going to talk blues. Oh, that's me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what did you think of that performance last night? John Kelly said that uh, he thought that was one of the blues' best performances of the year. Yeah, they, they brought it in a number of different ways, and Craig Bruby said it uh, afterwards. Just really love the forecheck, the reloads, uh, the tight gaps. I mean, that's everything that they've been looking for uh, for a while here uh, to play that way consistently, and they've done it now back-to-back games. You know, I really like that 4-1 to win over Vancouver the other night, too. So, granted, you know, it's the same opponent, and it's a non-playoff opponent, uh, you know, still fighting a little bit. But uh, I think it's two good performances back-to-back. And you look at the, the goal scores, seven different goal scores in the 4-1 and 4-3 victories over uh, Vancouver. And like I said, spread out last night. Power play goal, shorthanded goal, good 5-1-5 play. So I think uh, Craig Bruby and everybody have to be happy. And JR, including a goal from Walks, also known as Nathan Walker. <laughs> Nadub. <laughs> Nadub. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll, we'll call him Nadub for this exercise. But <laughs> another thing we talked about with John Kelly is just every time Nathan Walker gets an opportunity, he seems to make the most of it. And John indicated that he thinks that the Blues should give him a chance to play on a nightly basis. Do you think that's something that they're considering? Yeah, I would. They have to. They really do, don't they? I mean, six goals in eleven games. I think he's had with the Blues this year, and uh, three of them came in that hat trick earlier in the year. Uh, but he, you know, he's undersized, but he gets the job done. He's probably so tired of hearing about being undersized. Look, earlier in the year, uh, the Blues tried and used Dakota Joshua. You know, they they have McKenzie McEachern in there now. You know, they've tried other parts, looking for some identity on that fourth line. Well, maybe that identity is a guy Nadub who scores <laughs> and and plays well. So I know the playoffs are going to be different. You're going to want to, you know, get guys in there and and lay some hits, and you know, the pressure is going to kick up for sure. It is. Uh, but I think the play that we've seen from the fourth line with uh, walks in there, Nadub, has uh, been really good. So as far as it goes right now, I, I don't see a reason uh, to keep him out of the lineup. JR, when you get comments either on Twitter or for your mailbag at The Athletic or comments on your stories, uh, do you think, because I kind of do, that we are underrating Justin Falk as well as he's played. And I know he's gotten a lot of accolades for the way he's played, but I think that he's better than we're even giving him credit for. No, I think so. Uh, You know, I've read a variety of comments, uh, you know, some early on, obviously, with his first year in St. Louis, uh, very critical. Uh, I think he's definitely turned that around and, and maybe not to the point where, you know, people look at him as a great player in St. Louis, but yeah, I do see a lot of compliments of uh, Falk and, and his play. And, you know, talking about, uh, you know, laying hits and, you know, Justin Falk isn't really undersized, but he's not a big guy either. But every night, I just looked at the stat sheet. Every night you can pencil him in for four or five hits. You know, he's always finishing his checks and playing that style of game. So to me, he just does a lot of everything. And, and, and you don't often talk about him being out of position or, or making the wrong play, Randy. So I think a lot of people have come around on him and, and see that he's a good player, but you're right. He probably does deserve a little more credit than he gets. And there are a lot of times with defensemen when the best thing that can happen for them is that you aren't talking about him the next day. And you and I, we, we always go back to Bob Plager, right? He would go into the locker room and say, <laughs> hey, did you do anything that caused your team to lose the game? And if you didn't, then you were fine. Right, and, and this isn't to single anybody out, but look at the Blues defense over the years, and we've probably been able to do that with a, a number of guys where it just seemed like 
you know, they were making the wrong decision. They were uh, out of position, uh, things like that. They were on the ice for a lot of goals that uh, probably shouldn't have been in the back of the net. And with uh, Falk, I mean, I'm just thinking back through this season, really thinking back through the past couple seasons, and, and I can't, you know, remember too many times where that's what you're talking about. JR, another guy who got on the score sheet last night for the Blues is Robert Thomas. He can be such an X factor for this team. What kind of growth have you seen in his game? Just tremendous. Uh, you know, this year has been a huge year for him. Uh, number one, staying healthy. I know he did have an injury uh, earlier, uh, but not to the uh, you know effect of uh, the past couple of years where he missed significant time. And and so uh, I think his games developed because he's in the lineup and he's he's uh, getting a bigger role. But with Craig Bruby and the coaching staff, like we've seen with other players, you know, Barbashev being one of them, you have to not earn it, but when they give it to you, you have to do something with it. You know, that's the point that I want to make. And sometimes players are given uh, responsibility and they don't do anything with it. Well, you know, if the coaching staff puts you out on the ice for a key face-off or late in the game, things like that, and a goal gets scored, guess what? You know, Ryan O'Reilly is going to be out there next time that situation comes around. But Robert Thomas has won those big face-offs. You know, he, he's made plays down the, the, the stretch in games uh, to help the Blues win. So that builds uh, trust, confidence, and, and he's back out there. So uh, to me, everything. And, and, you know, you don't have to look much further than the fact that he's on that penalty kill and he's in a chance to score a shorthanded goal last night, a huge goal uh, for the Blues. And, and uh, you know, maybe they don't win without that goal. And, and, and so the trust that they've put in, in uh, Robert Thomas is a big reason that was uh, on the board last night. JR, the Blues have a back-to-back tomorrow night and Saturday, another back-to-back next Friday and Saturday. And then they have one in May as well. Do you think those are the only times we see Bennington for the rest of the season? Is I guess not not into May. Is it possible that we only see Jordan Bennington a couple more? Uh, yeah, three more times this season. No, four back to backs. Yeah, you know it's funny. As soon as you said the word back to back, I was like, this is a Bennington question. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's going to be a Bennington question. Yeah, because uh, you know you look at the past couple games and, and you thought that Bennington was probably going to get one of those. That's what the Vancouver did with their situation. Uh, but, uh, you know, last night, six out of seven for uh, Billy Huso in net, and that's uh, eight out of 10. So they have definitely, you know, made their decision at this point as to who their guy is. And, and you look, you know, how can you fault them? These four points against Vancouver were huge and you get all four of them. And last night, what happens? I mean, you're, you're ahead in that game, there's a minute 10 left. The Blues leave, uh, I think it was Tanner Pearson open in the slot, and Huso comes up with maybe his biggest save of the night. You know, right. does that save get made with uh, with Jordan Bennington in there? You don't know. So they're, they're going with uh, Huso right now, and Randy, at this point, I don't know how anybody else could tell you that the Blues are going to do anything different um, than give Bennington perhaps just the back-to-backs. And, you know, i got to study the schedule. Uh, maybe there's another start in there somewhere, but it looks like it's going to be 90% really who's so down the stretch. Yeah, the back-to-backs are the 1st and 2nd, the 8th and 9th, the twenty. Uh, the 16th and 17th, and then the 23rd and 24th. JR, one last thing. Later on, we'll hear yep. BK and Ferrario. I put it on Twitter last night. You're a cap guy, so you can give me your personal ruling on this. And there is no hard and fast rule. It's kind of like a baseball unwritten rule. What is the age limit for wearing a cap backwards for a man? <laughs> hmm, good question. Oh, man. You know what? Uh I gotta say, and I, I am guilty of it every once in a while, and I'm mid forties, but there should be a cap on it. Um, I, I would say forty. Like when you hit thirty nine, that's probably about the end of it. What, what do you guys think? I don't know. I think it's all about how you carry it. 
I think you can wear yeah, whatever I mean, you want as long yeah. as you have the right energy. I think if you aren't in the hip hop industry, I think thirty is the number. Thirty? Yeah. Okay. No, that's ridiculous. Thirties for What about young. the? Uh, let me ask the ask you this because sometimes I'll grab a hat and uh, you know I can't I can't fold the bill and, and curl it up a little bit so it's flatter than I want it to be. Mm-hmm. Is there a limit on on middle aged guys wearing flat bill? There should be just a limit altogether on wearing flat build caps. <laughs> yeah, I think if you... If, uh, in fact, there should be a ban on flat build caps. If you wear a flat build cap like a personality trait, that's a problem. Unless, again, you're in the hip-hop industry. Yeah, but if you do it every once yeah. in a while, no big deal. It's like but, when, when me and Kiwan and Murphy were hanging out, I was wearing my cap backwards. I was in, in my 50s. But I'm in the hip-hop industry, so I'm allowed. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, that's great. Yeah, I want to see Randy in a flat bill. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> that's next. JR, always great to have you with us. Thank you. All right, thank you, guys. See you, brother. That is Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from The Athletic. Don't you agree, though, that some people use a hat the way they wear a hat as a personality trait? You become the flat bill hat guy. Right. And Chase Daniel, and I asked last night on Twitter for his input, haven't gotten it yet, but we will, because he is a backwards cap guy all the way. And he's beyond 30. He's like 34 now. That's what I'm saying. You can wear it. It's all, you wear whatever you want as long as you have the confidence to pull it off. Because that's how fashion starts, right? You walk in a room, you are wearing something that other people might think is ridiculous, but you're owning it. And they're like, man. Look at the essence of Randy. I want to capture that. I, too, am going to wear a backwards hat. No, that will never happen. That, but that's how fashion starts, Randy. I'm just saying. Not among guys. What? Yes, it does. Look at all no. the NBA players and uh, what they see on the runway they're trying to translate as There's, they enter That's exactly the... how fashion goes with guys, There too, is Randy. Yeah, There is on. nothing where somebody says, that looks absolutely ridiculous. I think I'll try it. No, but you're looking at Dwayne Wade wearing capris, and you're like, man, his ankles look free. They're breathing. He's owning it. Maybe I should try capris. And who's tried that? A lot of dudes. I've seen a lot of dudes at weddings trying to rock capris in the spring and summertime. Guys, come on. I'm telling you. Not great. Fashion, it's a copycat industry, Randy. Come on now. Yeah, that's right. That's why the classics are classic. (laughs) Coming up, what's on tap on 101 ESPN? We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Going to head down the stretch here. We did get a very important text here about fashion that okay. says, this is from the 510. Don't fall for it, Randy. Men's fashion is not manly. Everything is skinny, tight, ankled, and short. A.K.A. uncomfortable. You know what is really manly is doing what you want to do and what you feel comfortable in. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, let's, let's but, not do that. Is, it, is there a scenario in which if you're wearing tight capris, they can be comfortable? Sure. Not for me. Maybe is, not for you, but is, I imagine for other people, they, if you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you play good. Matthew, and, what do you got? What is intrinsically manly about... Loose, bell-bottom, long pants. Like he said, it's, everything's skinny, tight-angled, and short. Like, what is intrinsically manly about the opposite of those things? Comfort. What is intrinsically manly about longer pants or baggier pants? That's a really Comfort. weird way to think about things. That's that that doesn't exist. You're just making things up to to comfort yourself. No, you have to be able to sit in your Barco lounger in front of your 82-inch big screen 4K TV as you're watching the Cardinal game and slide your hand in your pants. Okay. You have to be able to do that. This took a left, but I don't think we're talking about things you're wearing to watch a game. We're talking about things you wear out to an event. Well, again, if I go to an event, I still want to be comfortable. 
Sure, but you also want to look great, and tailoring things to your body is going to make the silhouette sharper. It's going to make you look better. A tailored pair of pants is always going to look better than Jinko, Jinko jeans, baggy, sloppy pants. I have tight ankles and short pants on right now, and they're the most comfortable pants really? I've ever worn in my entire life. You just got to buy the right stuff. When I go out and I am emceeing an event, I expect my sparkling personality to take precedent. And it really doesn't matter what I'm wearing. You're wrong. The, the man makes the clothes. No, the clothes can make the man. Well, then that's not a very strong man. I don't know. No, there's some really nice clothes. <laughs> strong yeah. looking man. You ever seen yeah. a really nice Italian suit? I don't that's care. Right. I don't care what you look like. You is that thing's tailored to what your body actually is. You will look good in it, no matter what that body form is. Yeah, think about every time. Think about what Yadier Molina just did for the coaching staff. He knows that if you have a suit that's tailored to your body and you put that thing on it's going to fit like a glove it's going to feel like silk and you're going to walk into a room and feel great about yourself that can impact the man see and that's that's where i'm different because i don't care what people think but we're talking about fashion you you wear what you like and you you project that out we started talking about a backwards hat right there's well, no age limit for that if you walk in and you've got the essence of the kid and you flip that hat backwards people are going to recognize see, and my thing is i don't need to be fashionable to have people guide their feelings about who i am but this is the whole point of fashion though it's an expression of yourself it's your way to express yourself but then why not wear what you pick out and what's comfortable for you? Why do you have to follow along with what others are wearing? No, people aren't. But maybe what's comfortable for them is a backwards hat and they're going to own it. Maybe what's comfortable for them is a tight pant because they feel great about it. That's the whole point. You're thinking about your version of comfort, yeah, which, is, which is a roomy leg. For other people, it might be a high waist. Maybe it's a crop top, Randy. Maybe it's a, a, a high heel or a, a cowboy boot. Maybe it's a bolo tie. Stop I mean, describing my closet. Whatever it is... That's my whole point, is that we shouldn't put an age restriction on on self-expression. I want to go to an event, like a, a Knights of the Cauliflower Ear event, and see how many guys are wearing crop tops. <laughs> Ezekiel Elliott did it, right? I mean, well, That's right, he, he made, pulled it off. Jimmy the, Edmonds? Yeah, there you go, guys. Uh, tell, you tell Bo to t- take his entire jersey down to his waist. Yeah. You tell Bo Jackson that. <laughs> I won't. You tell him. Let those abs breathe, man. But again, I, th- that's not an ev- that's a football player or, or a baseball player, whatever. I think that's different than fashion. I, I don't think that Ezekiel huh. Elliott wearing have, a shortened jersey is going to cause people to be wearing shortened Ezekiel Elliott jerseys. Have you not watched the NBA players walking into the arena? Yeah. It is a fashion show. It that's, a it's fashion a runway. Show. That hallway's a runway, baby. You know what? Every day is your own personal runway. Oh, there you go. It is. I mean, you know, when I go to New York, I see people walking around and they're just going to the deli. And they're stunting, you know, because they feel good. Because when you walk out on the street and you see people, that's how you're presenting yourself to the world that day. Okay. So don't try to cramp people's style, Randy. Maybe you should embrace fashion more. No, I'm just, my point is I'm secure enough that I don't need to follow along in those guidelines that are set. I, I, no, no, but we're saying I'm, maybe I'm good you should what set I wear. your own guidelines. That's right. So I, I don't need to get what's popular at fashion shows that cranks the price up 300% on a piece of cloth just because it's designed by somebody. No, true. But my whole point is if you try something on and maybe it's trendy, maybe it's not or whatever, and you think it looks good, 
you sh- and you feel great in it, you should wear it. Yes. And don't disagree. I'm talking about it just from a visual standpoint, not a comfort standpoint. Because if so, everyone would be wearing New Balance sneakers because they're the most comfortable, right? Yeah, they but, are. But you're not going to wear New Balance sneakers. Maybe you will. But most people are not going to wear New Balance sneakers to a wedding, right? You're going to want to wear a beautifully designed and crafted shoe that goes with a, a suit or a tux or a high heel that goes with a wedding dress, right? You want to look, it looks better on your body. It might not be the most comfortable, but it looks good, therefore making you feel good. And that's where we diverge, because I don't have any hard shoes that are uncomfortable. Really? No, all of my shoes are comfortable. What, what's the point of walking around with sore feet? Well, it must be nice to be a guy, let me tell you. Yeah, it is. You know? <laughs> must be nice to be a guy, because I was just in a wet, uh, wedding, and those high heels, man, they take their toll. Yeah. Uh, from the 636, good point here. The real measure is if you can look at pictures of yourself 10 years later and not think your style sucked, that it's okay. Capri pants for men will not fall into that category. Interesting point. I don't know. Maybe they will. We'll have to, TBD, let's revisit this conversation in 20 years. We shall. Because think about in the 50s, Audrey Hepburn, Audrey Hepburn was wearing a Capri, a pedal pusher. Maybe it just takes men that much longer to get in on the trend. That might be. You know what I'm saying? So, and by the way, just give me what uh, Anthony Davis was wearing the other night with the big sweater. I was just going to say street clothes? Yeah. He's got good street clothes. <laughs> you know what? I'll, now that we're here, I would love guys to incorporate more color into their wardrobe. Mm-hmm. I feel like guys love a blue. They love a grayish. They love a outfit, like a full gray outfit. Mm-hmm. They love a black, maybe a hunter green if they're feeling saucy. Let's work in some pastels, guys. Yes. A guy in a... Remember when Fernando Tatis Jr. showed up to the All-Star Game in a, a pink pastel mm-hmm. suit? He looked fire. He looked amazing. It's springtime. Work in some lavender, gentlemen. A, a nice baby blue, an homage to the Cardinals. Work it in there. A mint, if you're feeling great about spring. I just think more guys need to embrace color. Michelle, I'm going to put a show on for you this, this spring. I got I, I got all that in the closet. I got, pa- I got, I got pastels just bursting out of the closet. I can't wait. Love I can't it. wait to see it. But I just think guys need to take more risks. 2022, yes. take a risk. Let's go. Take that risk. I love it. Flip that hat backward. If you want to buy a chain, go ahead and buy it. I'm gonna pastels, go get, it's in. I'm going to go get some loudmouth golf shorts from Golf discount. Yes, there you go, Randy. There we go, go full Ricky Fowler on this. No, I'm, I'm, I would love I'm, it. I'm going John Daly. Oh, I like that even better. Yeah. Hawaiian shirt. Yep. Great job by our producer engineer, the one and only Matthew Rocchio. Thank you. Pleasure. Michelle. It, what a great day. What was, a great Thursday. Great. Thanks great to, to Nolan Arnato. Great to uh, have Nolan with us. Great to have Greg Amzinger, John Kelly, Jeremy Rutherford. Thanks to all of them. Thanks to you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7, we're going to talk to David Perron tomorrow. Uh, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. 
Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show. You got in... Over here! With a friend. And found a spot close enough to see the set list. They're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.